Just Go With It is a podcast hosted by two millennials who swear. And also, it's about horror films, so listener discretion is advised. We will put specific content warnings in the show notes. Boo! <laughs> I think I am prepared. More oh, or less. are you? Uh, oh. <laughs> are you? That sounds like such an accusation. I was like, did I forget to do something? I have nothing prepared. Okay, I was like, am I being roasted? <laughs> well, well, well. <laughs> Look what we have here. A fucking nerd. <laughs> A nerd. <laughs> A nerd. <laughs> Hey, Kate, remember in the Poltergeist where the house was sucked into the ground? <laughs> uh-huh, vividly. <laughs> That's right. You heard it here. Yep. It's not sucked into a wormhole backwards. It's definitely sinking into the ground. I got the receipts. As in, just don't watch the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Last word I choked. If you don't watch it, I'm right. <laughs> While editing, Nikki looks at me over the computer and says, you don't have this recorded, but I know that I'm wrong. (laughs) I don't admit to that at all. I have screenshots about your height. Like, I collect these. I'm (laughs) 5'5". Don't I sound (laughs) 5'5"? Do I not sound taller? (laughs) I'm 5'5". Would someone who's 5'4 sound like this? Amory, if you're listening, I'm Could five, someone five. that's 5'4 five, do this? <laughs> oh my god, she's on a unicycle on the ceiling. It's incredible. She's fighting off a bear. <laughs> and the bear's 5'6. Oh my god. <laughs> she stands no chance. <laughs> Wait, this is a beautiful segue. Uh huh. Speaking of bears. Speaking of bears. What's in the woods, Kate? Well, arguably bears. But what else? Motor. Nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> I have a fun fact about bears. Okay. That is specific to the ritual, which oh, is what we're doing. Okay. We're doing the ritual. Oh, by the way, we're doing the ritual? Yeah. <laughs> I got so excited about the bear fact. Well, okay, so they filmed it in a location that yeah. you might get to, but yeah. apparently there are a shit ton of bears there, and so they literally had snipers in the <gasps> woods while they were filming at night ready for bears. Oh, my God. Yeah. Did they have to hurt any, hurt any bears? They Did didn't they? say in the interview if any bears were harmed in the making of this video. Better not have, But they were, God. like, quite concerned that actors would be attacked by bears in the night because they were Damn. filming at night for a few weeks. Wowza. hmm That does not surprise me, though. I mean, it was a very dense forest. And yes. that is, you know, <laughs> where bears like to live. I'm not a bear expert, but... I'm not a another... fucking bear expert, Dom. <laughs> Okay. It's one of my favorite lines. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a bear expert, but as a kid, I did have a recurring dream where a bear would find me wherever I was. One time it was under a sink. Like I opened the cabinet under a sink and a bear was there. And in this dream, I would punch the bear every time. It would come at me and I would just Did sucker. you like watch wicker man as a child I've never, like I've, I've never seen trick i've never, never seen, seen wicker man um he's in a bear costume and he punches someone no it's wild that's wild no it's, it's i insane. just i just uh in the nick cage version oh well, yeah. uh, you said punched a uh, yeah and i went yeah, yeah. okay mm-hmm. got it um yeah i used to have a recurring dream where I, I punched a bear which i would never do in real life no one because 
I love bears. I love bears. Too, because I don't want to die. <laughs> you can't just take on a bear. No. But the point is... <laughs> We're doing the ritual. We're doing the ritual. It sounds like we're doing a dark ritual we're here not, in my apartment. We're doing the ritual as we record. So if we like pause, it's because we're measuring out ingredients, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're doing some serious dark rituals. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ritual is, to, I almost, you know what? Never mind. I don't want to say. <laughs> I was going to say the ritual is to convince Elisha Wood to marry me. But <laughs> I, I don't want to shoot myself in the foot in case he does want to marry me on his own. Yeah. And then he's going to wonder the entire time, was I tricked into this in a dark ritual during a podcast recording? And then he'll he'll unearth this 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 blooper mm. that I won't cut yeah. out. <laughs> Keep it in. I love you, Elijah. All right. All right. I'm not going to marry Elijah Wood, whatever. Because I think he's in a lovely relationship. Oh, well, I'm happy for him. I'm very, very happy for him. I still have the locket where I used to carry a picture of Frodo in it. I'll show you when we're done recording. It's here, Kate. Um. Okay. Incredible. So... A few facts about The Ritual. <clears throat> so it was made in 2017. It was directed by David Bruckner, which he hasn't done like too much. This was his first solo directing piece. Um, he co-wrote and directed The Signal, Amateur Night, and VHS, which I knew VHS. I didn't know the other two. Um, but yeah, so he this was like his first one by himself. It was written by Joe Barton, who wrote... My Days of Mercy, iBoy, Invasion, and is, it said this, tapped to write a Cloverfield sequel. Oh boy. I don't know when that was written. I don't know what tapped like, is technically really meaning. I guess just like, with like, my like, eyes on yeah, you. Yeah. It's kind of like chosen. Like, you are the chosen one. So he is tapped to mm. write a Clover, unless this is, this is very old, and then, uh, who knows? But yeah, that was really all I could get on. The tap has since faded. On Joe Barton. His youth is gone. His youth is gone. I don't know how old he is. <laughs> I, I don't either. You know I do the, the bare minimum of facts. <laughs> Speaking of, uh, <laughs> the movie is based on a novel mm-hmm. uh, that was made in 2011, written in 2011, uh, by Adam, is it Neville or Neville? I assumed it was Neville. Neville? But Neville. if Neville comes after us, like, yelling, then we can change it. Yeah, you let us know, Adam Neville. And if you happen to know Elisha Wood, put in a good word. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> the music was by Ben Lovett, um, founder of the record label Lover's Label. Uh, apparently, mostly just, like, creates his own music and stuff, I think. Uh, it said that he did actually collaborate, I think, with the director, like, a lot. Mm-hmm. Somebody. They, like, are, like, buds, and they do stuff Biffles. together. Biffles, if mm-hmm. you will. If you will. If, if you will. For the, you know, um, official term. Um, oh, I didn't underline this part. Oh, God, I'm such a fool. Andre Shulkind was the cinematographer. I hope I'm saying that right. I don't know for sure. There no wasn't clue. a lot about Andre Shulkind. I went to his page and it was just like... I thought it was a- Andrew. Andrew? You know what? I'm dyslexic and I may have just stopped after the E and went, that's enough. Uh... I'm Googling it because I have him in my notes, too. And I was just like, I need to know. Uh, I think it's Andrew. I'm pretty sure it's Andrew. Well, I wrote Andre. It's Andrew Shulkin. (laughs) Andrew Shulkin. (laughs) Well, this is just me being dyslexic. I apparently wrote Andre and went, that's enough. I can't. (laughs) I'm Um, tired. Well, he's a cinematographer. His name is Andrew. He also did Southbound, Mm -hmm. which I have not seen, but I... I think someone else on this crew also worked on Southbound. I don't remember who it was, but they have collaborated. Uh, he Okay, so this was weird. I did the research on him. It sounds like you clearly might may have as well. He 
does a lot of work with VR. Did mm, you see yeah. this? Yeah. So he like develops either VR games or VR like experiences. Um, yeah, that was really all I kind of found. Once it got past like no movies, works in VR, I went, well, I don't understand. And, uh, you know, if you want to know more, look up Andre Shulkin. Uh-huh. And then expect to find nothing. <laughs> Maybe that's why I couldn't find anything. I looked up Andre. Oh. It's Andrew. Okay. So uh, this movie, so this was weird because technically it's like a Netflix movie. So the budget is a little funky. Um, get it, funky. It, get funky. Get chunky. Get chunky. <laughs> cursed um it debuted at uh toronto film festival i believe uh but it also it was in theaters very briefly in like england like it not for very long it made about a million dollars oh so yeah so it was like and i I, it was probably smaller theaters i'm guessing um but it took about 1.3 to 1.6 million to make like, that's how much it, it was, like, that was their budget, I think. Then hopefully Netflix uh, paid them. They for, did. Uh, okay. So it was shot in Romania. That was, for some reason, I wrote that before I wrote how much it sold for. I was very excited about it being <laughs> Romania. Cool. Um, and it was sold to Netflix for $4.75 That'll do it. Yeah. So they, they, like, made back, you know, what it took to make the movie, obviously. And it, it, it didn't really uh, stay in theaters for very long. I think, like maybe a few months and then right to netflix so i didn't know it ever went into theaters i knew that they did toronto film festival but i didn't know beyond that yeah that but it was only like a very select few um i didn't write down which ones but yeah it was a very select few that they like put in theaters and that was it um and yeah that was uh those are my facts about the ritual and it's not haunted so i know Mm. i don't have Something to lean back on to ignore this part. <laughs> okay. Okay. Cackling at you. I don't know anyone's name. Don't tell it to me. <laughs> a group of men. There is a number of them. Do not tell. Kate. <laughs> Every time I say I don't know something, she just tells me, and it makes me so mad that she remembers these facts. Four people. Four. Yeah, I don't count. <laughs> Four men go into the woods. It's kind of like a tribute trip because they were going to go, they were planning a, a lad's holiday uh, and they were going to go on a trip with their friend and their friend passes away before they can go. We'll get into that later. But he passes away and they go on a hiking trip because they believe that was his idea. This is in honor of him. And uh, it starts off kind of with a bang. Like they are just like, you see them, they've already been hiking for a little bit. Uh, they do a tribute to their friend. Someone sprains their ankle and then they say like, okay, well, we need to find a shortcut. It's going to be faster. Just cut through the woods. So that's what they do. They cut through the woods. And then nothing good happens. Nothing good happens after they go into those woods. It's like they've never even seen the Blair Witch. Come on, guys. Uh, that's. I mean, that's pretty much it. Is they just experience terrifying things in the woods. Uh, you don't know what's real. You don't know what is kind of a hallucination. That is buck wild. And um, let's just say, you know, four men enter and... Uh, Four don't leave. <laughs> and I don't know any other names. Okay, take it away. <laughs> okay, so their names are Hutch, Dom, Rob Died, Luke, and Phil. Uh, <clears throat> now, quick, do you want me to say those back to you? Dom. Mm-hmm. Dutch? 
<laughs> was Hutch. that it? Hutch. <laughs> I mean, it's a weird name. And it's then, probably last name. Yeah. Rob. Mm-hmm. <gasps> and David. No. <laughs> That's the name of our ship in Sea of Thieves. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that. So Luke is the main character. He's right. the blonde boy. Is okay. he blonde? I don't I know. know. Uh, I don't know names. <laughs> Why would I know? Anyway. Okay. So Rotten Tomatoes graced us with this summary today. Mm-hmm. Reuniting after the tragic death of their friend Rob, four college pals set out to hike through the Scandinavian wilderness. A wrong turn leads them into the mysterious forests of Norse legend, where an ancient evil exists and stalks them at every turn. Right, 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 right. I forgot to say ancient. It's ancient, everybody. It's really fucking old. Big deal. <laughs> I could be a Norse like, god's whatever. child. I'm 30. I'm basically an ancient elder <laughs> god, too. Like, whatever. What makes you so special? I'm a dusty 28. <laughs> you <laughs> I'm a dusty 28. <laughs> I've just never had anybody describe themselves as dusty before. I loved that. Oh. Holy fuck. I'm in a mood for some reason. Like, I'm making fun of this movie as if I didn't love it. I, oh, no, I, I enjoyed movie. it so much. Right? I enjoyed it so much. But for yeah. some reason, I'm just like, I'm going to yell at this movie. <laughs> I have my critiques and my qualms, you know? I do. And also, I want everyone to know that just because I don't remember names or how many people... I watched the movie. She I know pays attention like, so good. <laughs> I really pay attention. I do. But I have ADHD. So, like, man, some of those finer details, they slip through the cracks. And especially <laughs> when there's such, like, little dialogue. And, yeah, like, yeah. this is a very low dialogue movie. Mm-hmm. And so... I, it's reasonable to not know the names. Even though I did call him Dutch. Uh, I knew close. it was an Utch because that was the one name I heard a bunch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Because he's the leader. Yeah. The so leader. you hear that name a lot. So I knew that that one was involved. I don't know where I got David. It just seems like an... I mean, if you're thinking like British man, I mm-hmm. don't know. David just seems like it a does. pretty good guess. Yeah, that's right? totally reasonable. So... I pay attention. Oh, she definitely <laughs> does. Not I mean, well. whenever she talks about camera angles, you know she's fucking paying attention. The I colors in the scene. We just pay attention to different things. Yeah, we sure do. All right. Oh, my God. Does that mean it's already time? It is. Ah! I, okay, so I tried to rush because I know we have a good nerd corner this week. It's like uh, a little longer. They're all good, but this one's like good long. So is I usually yeah, <laughs> I usually try to keep it at like two and a half pages, but yeah. every now and then it's like, hold on. Oh, no. Uh, and this one's three. Oh, okay. Uh, which is reasonable. Yeah, I was know. expecting like eight, so. No, <laughs> I, uh, you know, decided not to go in depth into psychological studies so that it wouldn't go that long because we are going to go into psychological studies briefly. Oh, boy. I have to use my degree, okay? Oh, uh, gross. <laughs> the one that I have all the student debt for. <laughs> one of these days I'll use mine. Who's to say when? Sorry, mom. I will. I promise. I love you so much. Her mom's great. That's true. My mom's also great. It's not like, well, Nikki's mom's True. cool. True. Also, mom's Kate's also mom is cool. great. Yeah, I love her. Mom corner. Mom corner. <laughs> Someday we'll have them both on. Oh, my God. They can talk about the horror of raising us. Oh, my Aww. mom did tell you at yeah. the birthday dinner. She told you a lot of the my horror of raising me. everybody yeah. that I was a little terror as a child. I was a fucking I nightmare. I think. Mom, let me know. Call me after this. <laughs> I was slightly demonic, you know? Yeah. Oh. My grandma told me when I was a child that my laugh was too creepy and I had to change it. And I told my mom that, like, a memory, and she's like, well, yeah, it was creepy. <laughs> I think the scariest thing I ever did was just, like, kind of chew on a corn cob and leave corn trails. Corn trails? Yeah, like, because like, I didn't have any teeth, so the corn would just, like, fall right out, and I would just leave a little trail of corn. <laughs> Incredible. Nikki Corn Trail Solomon, that's what they call me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's 
talk about let's talk about nerd quarter yeah i mean we already are talking about psychological shit but let's mm-hmm. get into the specific one okay so as you know i had a lot of different ideas for nerd corner this week yeah. wild <laughs> the age-old question of what to fucking cover <laughs> so we decided that two of the concepts would be shelved for other movies we want to cover and if you're a patron then maybe you know because we post them Maybe. ahead of time. Yeah, so join our Patreon. You get the month's lineup at the beginning of the month, and you get to vote on yeah, the last Yeah, you get to vote. This is month. a patron pick. This is a patron pick. Yeah. So, so yeah. this week, I took my lead from comments from the director across several interviews. Mm-hmm. So in an interview with Collider, Bruckner said, you're always looking for some pre-existing anxiety, some sort of contemporary unease that you can build the nightmares on upon, you know? I relate to the idea of men in their mid-30s. He's saying this, not me. I do not relate to the idea of men in their mid-30s. I relate to men in their 30s. (laughs) I, Kate Swindler, really relate to the idea of men in their (laughs) mid-30s. Bruckner said, I related to the idea of men in their mid-30s who had been friends under different circumstances when they were younger, and there was this tension among the group. There is a difficulty in kind of maintaining those friendships and just a general sense of masculinity and crisis that I actually think had not been explored in the horror film that I can remember. And he brings up that latter point again in mm-hmm. an interview with Bloody Disgusting. I always find, this is a quote. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't attribute this to me. <laughs> Even though I really do like his first half of this. I always find that horror works best when it's tethered to real world anxieties. And this felt especially relevant to me both personally and as a broader exploration 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 of masculinity and crisis so he's brought up like this phrase masculinity and crisis yeah. across several interviews and just kind of talked about it like in a few different ways across uh so there are a few things that i want to draw out here first the lack of close friends that men have in adulthood is actually pretty fucking bleak yeah. there's an npr article that expands on it and there are a lot of studies on it too yeah uh second what aspects of masculinity are in crisis that's the discussion where I get to use my other degree. Woo! Degrees! <laughs> Listen, I went to school for the most useless things in terms oh, of the job market, but in terms don't. of analyzing horror movies, I am so ready. <laughs> don't get me started on useless things. You know that I did a whole year on intaglio printmaking, correct? Incredible. Incredible. I love it. Oy vey. <laughs> so the first part of Nerd Corner is going to lean heavily on the research done and presented by NPR's Shankar Vedantam on Hidden Brain. Hmm. Hidden Brain's pretty cool. It's a podcast. It's usually like 50 minutes. Um, and it just goes into cool concepts. But before getting into the details of male friendships or lack thereof, in this NPR podcast, Vedantam explains a foundational longitudinal study that was launched in 1938 to Ooh. answer the question, can you predict who will be a good department store manager? <laughs> so... It was really about more than that, but it was basically like two people teaming up. So it was a department store magnate, WT something or other. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) Okay. I know. I think it's WT Grant. It's just a very generic name. Uh, So department store magnate and Harvard professor teamed up to study that they, like they thought it would be a study that lasted about a decade, started in 38, and it focused on undergrads at Harvard. Yeah. Um, And it lasted nearly 80 years. Hmm. Holy so, shit, I thought you were going to say, like, it was less. Like, mm-hmm. you said it was supposed to last a decade. I was like, well, like, five years? 80? Yeah, so it Goodness. essentially, like, was not only, like, how can you tell who's going to – can you predict who will be a good manager, yeah. but also what does the presence of positive wellness look like? Mm-hmm. Because um, the Harvard professor guy was like, well, so many studies focus on the presence of disease – 
or the absence of disease, but they don't focus on positive wellness. Right. And so he wanted to look at, you know, what these people were doing and just asking them a shit ton of questions about right. their lives and about their, like, health and, like, quality of life and all that stuff. Hmm. So he could see, like, okay, like, across people, what are you doing that may be correlated with better outcomes? Huh. And longitudinal studies are, like, the same group of people across a long measure of time. Not always 80 years. Uh and then I read an article that said they were doing, like, Generation 2, where it was, like, mm-hmm. the children of these Harvard people. Interesting. But there are a lot of obvious issues up front. The first wave of research only recruited from Harvard, which did not admit women at the time. Oh, boy. And hardly represents the range of socioeconomic yeah. situations across the U.S. Also, every single member of the study was white. Yep. I kind of guessed. <laughs> Wild, right? So essentially what they had was a study following affluent white men. Right. It was later expanded in the 70s to include white men from Boston's poorest neighborhoods. So it broadened the socioeconomic range. Right, yeah. But it was still based on white men. But with this narrow focus, they got to look into social isolation among white men. And so the study looked at so many things. But one of the questions that they had was like, if you wake up in the middle of the night and you're afraid or you're anxious, who do you call? Like that sort of thing. And... They realized that a lack of close, warm friendships was correlated with poorer health outcomes, like earlier onset of diseases of middle age or chronic illnesses and shorter lifespan. Oh, glad I have friends. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And these findings were supported in other studies. Our social relationships and connections are hugely important in our overall well-being. Yeah. And there's a lot of really interesting research on loneliness as an epidemic, especially for older folks. Like in one of my classes, it was basically talking about how deadly loneliness is, especially Aww. for the elderly. And yeah, it you can get into a lot of stuff like yeah, whole books on this shit. I don't have time for that right now. <laughs> Not now. And then in this uh, podcast episode of Hidden Brain, they also referenced a previous episode that had been out called yeah. When Did Marriage Become So Hard? And it covered the work of Eli Finkel, a social psychologist at Northwestern. And in that episode, Finkel talks about the changes over time in our expectations of a spouse. And generally, over time, we have folded more and more responsibility and expectations onto our partner. Yeah. So a quote from Eli Finkel, marriage for a long time served a set of relatively limited array of different functions for us. And over time, we've piled more and more of these emotional and psychological functions. So instead of turning to our close friends and other relatives for nights out on the town for deep, intimate disclosure, to a larger and larger extent, our spouses replaced a lot of what we used to look for in our broader social network to help us do. Yeah. So, you know, you hear like the vows where it's like, you're my best friend, you're my partner, my lover, all these things. And it's like, that wasn't always the case. And obviously, there were a lot of fucking issues with the institution of marriage's ownership and... Like, all that stuff. So it's not saying, well, marriage sucks now. Not what I'm saying. But generally as a culture, like, in the U.S., we have folded more and more emotional, like, laden responsibility onto a spouse. And then if you look at – I mean, yeah, so many husbands have to be, like, there for the cutco demonstration. And that's Mm -hmm. really tough, It's really exhausting for them to watch someone slice bread, okay? Oh, my God. It's just tough. It's just really tough. I just wish that I could. I just wish that I could like pull up a pal, mm-hmm. watch some Cutco demonstrations, mm-hmm. and just buy some knives together. You know, Why I. Why gotta be my my spouse? You know, me a single heathen. I cut an apple today with my new Cutco. You uh-huh. slut. <laughs> <laughs> That's enough from you, slut. <laughs> That's enough out of you, slut. You you ate. You hate a sin apple. I did. I am the eve of this story. Oh my god! I do want to say cutco knives are really nice. It was not just, for you, not for me, because I'm you. not married. <laughs> They're not for you. You put that apple down. 
You know what? Can I have that apple though? I like tasted the sin as I bit into it. <laughs> hungry for apples now. <laughs> it was a really good apple. It's nothing crisp. I'm, that sounds, I'm not allowed to cut apples. I'm not married. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, you know, so. you can sin with me if you want. <laughs> I, Kate, I'm sorry. I can't live that kind of life like you. That's fine. We okay. can't all be sinners. I, I, I don't know how to move on from this. And I, record I, I rip my apples in half with my bare hands like a real <laughs> woman of God. <laughs> Time for an apple snack. <laughs> I told you I was in a mood. Like the true believer I am. Crunch. I love God. <laughs> it's wild. We like to give a lot of like religious guidance on this show. We think it's definitely our place to do that. We're here for you. <laughs> We're Don't here for you. Uh, but there's also studies that are kind of looking at like in heterosexual relationships mm-hmm. because a lot of studies fucking focus on that. Uh, where basically the wife takes on the social responsibilities where it's yeah. like she arranges all their social outings. She manages the birthdays and right. remembering anniversaries and stuff. And um, so like one of the things that folks talk about is like when people get divorced, the wife keeps the friends. Yeah. Because she was the one organizing all of the friendships and stuff. And yeah. that's obviously not like the same across everyone. And that's right. very binaristic. And that's within like this heteronormative construction. But that is like a larger trend that has been studied. And, you know, things that aren't seen aren't studied. <laughs> right. This uh, reminds me of a – this is so stupid. But this reminds me of a TikTok that I saw recently of a – it was like that one couple that always whispers to each other at the party. And it was like, oh, my God, yes, we're so happy to be here. We're down for anything. Are we down for anything? Like, she keeps turning to, like, <laughs> their boyfriend and being like, don't don't mention his dad. It's really sore subject. Like, oh, my God. It's very good. I love it. And it was just, yeah, you said relationships. And I was like, oh, yeah, the ones that always whisper. <laughs> love it. <sighs> okay, continue with the real stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, you know, looking at trends across time, the change of, like, the way that we map responsibility onto our partners, that sort of thing. But there are also other elements contributing to, like, potential male loneliness. So we tend to live further from our families. Um, Lots of folks decide not to get married. Divorce Mm -hmm. rates are high. And we also connect less and less in person. Right. Especially during a fucking pandemic. Yeah. All of these articles were 2018, so obviously before COVID. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it'll be really interesting to see all the psychological research that comes out of this. Oh, God. I'm definitely ready for that and not emotionally compromised. I don't want to see this time studied. They're going to be like, oh, one lonely woman plays Animal Crossing for nine hours, then forget the game exists. And honestly, that could be anyone, but it's also me. <laughs> oh, it's me too. <laughs> God. Uh, so this is the part in the Hidden Brain episode. <laughs> Did you like my little like riffing? What's she going to say? Not anything super interesting. So uh, I'm summarizing a Hidden Brain episode, which is fascinating to me, not to everyone. So this is where the episode like jumps to look directly at male friendships and yeah. expectations of masculinity. Mm-hmm. And Vedantam interviews Niobe Way. And I meant to listen to the – like it's a podcast, but they also had a script of it. Like oh, a yeah. transcript. Like, so you can and I read it. that because I read better than I listen. Wild. <laughs> Wild. <laughs> <laughs> Noise. Um, so he interviews Way, a psychologist who worked as a counselor at high school in Boston in the 80s. And there's a ton in this episode, but the essential elements are these. So boys have just as much emotional depth as girls. Yeah. But as they grow, there's pressure to hide or repress those emotions Mm -hmm. because it's not seen as manly. A quote from Way sums it up pretty well. Direct quote. 
The reason for that struggle really is quite simple, which is that it's American masculinity and masculine norms and masculine expectations that make, you know, close relationships into a girly gay thing rather than simply a human thing. So as boys grow older and enter manhood, they begin to be overwhelmed with this expectation that somehow they have to be, you know, on their own. They can't depend on others. They have to be fully independent. That somehow the desire for intimacy with other boys is problematic in a culture that's very hypermasculine. I just don't think it's coincidental the very time you hear their language, their love, the love in their language, the emotional attunement in their language diminish, and the anger, the frustration, the I don't care voices coming to their stories is the exact same time that suicide rates increase. Yeah. So that's an NPR hidden brain thing. And to be clear, this the evidence that Way talks about is not like a causal link. Yeah. It's just, you know, a worrying correlation. Yeah. And the episode concludes with a heartwarming study about socialization and expectations around socialization with commuters. Oh. Uh, where it's like everyone thinks that one, they don't want to talk to anyone on the train and they yeah. think that no one wants to talk to them on the train and they also think it'll be really unpleasant. Yeah. But they did this study and found that actually like when you think about 50% of people want to talk to you, it's closer to 100% of people want to talk to you. And then it's not going to be as unpleasant as you think. And so it's this really cool study about like talking to people on public transit, which different during COVID, but... Right, yeah. But still, that's so funny because yeah, like if I'm ever on any kind of public transit, I am like, don't talk to me, don't mm-hmm. talk to me, don't talk to on me. On the headphones in the whole time, yeah. Yeah, but like the very few times where, because I used to fly like from Florida to Ohio mm-hmm. like every fucking month, the few times that I did have conversations with people, they were lovely. Oh, yeah. Like, they're great. You just, yeah, I mean, you don't know. I feel like you get used to having like awkward conversations or something, so you're just like, ugh, I wanna. <laughs> and I've had, like, I'm not gonna say my ex- or experiences are representational, but I've had really bad bus experiences. Oh, yeah. Where, like, someone tried to recruit me into a cult, and then this <gasps> yeah. guy talked to me about what I'm pretty sure was Scientology, but he never <gasps> said it out right. He talked about spinning wheels in the sky. No, come and on. I was like, this is probably less than ideal. So I, like, got off a stop early and walked to, like, the place that I worked at the time Ugh. and, like, told the person, like, hey, I'm nervous about this thing. I just didn't want him to see right. where I lived. And then I walked home and let her know whatever. It was fine. Like, I was totally fine. He wasn't gonna hurt me, but I was creeped out. Right. Uh, but- and so, like, I've had a lot of really bad experiences on public transit but i don't think that that is representative of the oh, fact yeah. that i mean i've also know. had horrendous experiences yeah. but yeah you just like the few good ones you're like wow yeah i had <laughs> a few that nice <laughs> a few really great ones where like i saw that there was construction on a street or like the street was blocked off and i was waiting at a bus stop and i was like hey by the way i think the bus is going to skip this stop yeah because of the police blockade on this street so i think we should walk down to this one and she's like oh my god thank you for telling me so then we just chatted all the way to the next bus stop it was great so anyway this is getting off topic (laughs) but essentially like this episode covered these main facts so warm close relationships are a crucial part of physical and mental well-being yeah and men seem to have fewer of those close relationships partially due to social norms around masculinity yeah it's like a 15 minute episode (laughs) but those are the bare bones of it yeah so this is where I get into the second aspect, norms around masculinity. There's this activity that I used to do with my students. It's not like this groundbreaking thing I developed by any means. It's just about gender norms. Yeah. Um, and it's a really common activity. Uh, but basically, you draw two boxes, one labeled men and the other labeled women. This is intentionally within the binary, not to say that it's like the natural order of things, but to show just one of the flaws of refusing to see gender as a spectrum and the binary as a social construct. So you ask everyone to yell out or write words that we use to describe men or what we expect men to be, what we want men to be. So usually you get things like strong, dominant, brave, tough. You'll also get words like rude or smelly. (laughs) But generally the words (laughs) disgusting. Gross. (laughs) (laughs) 
but generally the words follow that earlier like positive trend yeah and then you ask them to do the same thing with the women box and you tend to get words like submissive polite quiet mother etc we go over the differences between these words and then you ask what do you call a man that falls outside of the expectations we put in that box yeah so if he doesn't fit in the man box what do you call him what do you call a man that isn't tough or strong we get words like sissy, gay, and lots of slurs. <laughs> and it's one of those times where, like, you know, you talk to your students and he's like, hey, it's okay if you don't want to say this word, but we also recognize that this is not your perspective. It's you just, just have heard it a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then what about women that fall outside of that idealized femininity? You get words like lesbian, bitch, cunt, bossy, etc. And what you see is that the words we have that we use to demean folks of either gender are really saying that feminine equals bad. Men should not be feminine and women should stay safely within the bounds of acceptable behavior. Otherwise, they're a harpy or a bitch. Ugh. So that's just like a really basic activity to introduce gender norms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To have people like explore and challenge it on their own and then you build from there. So like how are gender norms influenced by and how do they intersect with race, culture, socioeconomic status, ability, yeah. etc. So over the course, you basically keep coming back to the idea of the ideal American man. Yeah. And we look at how we reward hypermasculinity and punish anything that falls short of that. Right. So in this movie, you have Luke. He was not strong or brave in that corner store. He didn't save his friend because he was afraid. Right. Now, to be clear, I am not blaming Luke for what happened. No. The people at fault are the ones who chose to do violence. But Luke blames himself. Yeah. And you find out that some of his other friends do yeah. as well. That's the worst part. And in their idea, and in a lot of ways that society looks at this, if he was really a man, he would have been stronger. He would have been braver. He would have fought. Like Dom says, you didn't have any blood on you. You didn't fight for your friend. That sort of thing. Right. So that introduces the masculinity and crisis theme that Bruckner was working with. And from the beginning, you see a group of friends that may have outgrown each other. Luke complains about how they've changed, how the others aren't interested in the same ideas at all for a boy's trip. And really, it just seems like a lot of them have families, aren't interested in the same things they used to be, and just aren't as emotionally close as they once were. Yeah. Or maybe their friendship was built on that adolescent party scene, and once some of them outgrew it, they realized there wasn't anything holding them together. Right. Regardless, we see male friendships in peril and later crisis. <laughs> yeah. As Bruckner said, the faltering relationship was a starting point to explore masculinity through horror. And the cinematographer, this is the one cinematographer quote I have Woo! from Andrew Andre. Uh, <laughs> Andrew Shulkin. <laughs> he said, these four guys take a trip to northern Sweden up near Norway and they're trying to mourn the loss of their friends. While they encounter these tragic and scary things, it also hits at the core of what happens to adult relationships as friends start to drift apart. They get married and have kids and their lives change. Then they're put up to some type of extreme test. It's about what manhood means when you get older at its core. Yeah. So this is one of the reasons I think it's so interesting to read interviews. Yeah. Because you get to see what the intent was in creating it and like uh -huh. what reading they were informed by or trying to craft. Obviously, I'm going to read it very differently. <laughs> yeah. Because I am a woman. Yeah. This and was. I am not. Yeah. I do not fit this. And so it's like That's they're asking, what does this construction of masculinity look like? And I'm asking, like, what does masculinity mean to the writer, the director, the cinematographer? What are their investments in heteropatriarchal constructions of gender? Are they trying to showcase a struggle or are they trying to make a moral statement about it? So are they basically saying this is what it's like in male friendships or are they saying this is what the problem with this construction of maleness? I don't know. I can't assume their intent. Yeah. I can only look at what they've said about making the movie paired with my reading of it. And my questions are like, is masculinity in crisis, in the words of the director, because he wasn't brave and strong, but he redeemed himself by being brave and strong and escaping, and his yeah. masculinity is no longer in question? Or was this a healing journey where he's finally accepted the death of his friend and stopped blaming himself? I'm not, like, inclined to read this movie as an intentional critique of gender norms. <laughs> 
<clears throat> but it offers a lot to analyze. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Jeez. Yeah. I so, didn't think about that until now. So I just covered all of society in three pages. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, like, well, before we get to horror, mm-hmm, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, like, w- when I watch it, I'm obviously watching it from my point mm-hmm. of view. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I'm not a man. So when I watched it, in it never occurred to me that it was like a masculinity thing. Yeah. As much as it was just a like a friendship. Yeah. Because, like, in my mind, it was very much like, I did never say, like, he wasn't brave. He wasn't this. Mm-hmm. All I took was, like, the he's mad because he thinks that he didn't help his friend. Yeah. That's what I... I we saw it in terms of relationship, not yeah. in terms of proving yourself not to be at all. a man. Because, like, as hard as it is to say, and, like, maybe I'm wrong, but I've never been in, like, a situation like that, obviously, mm-hmm. to that extent. So it's very hard to say what you would do. Yeah. But it's a lot easier to think that you would stay quiet like that yeah. because you have to assume that, like, if you do anything, you're also going to meet the same fate. Yeah. So what, do you want to lose two friends? One, like, you know, it's that's such a tough thing to, like, oh, my God. Yeah, I never even thought about it in being masculine. Yeah. I just thought about it in being, like, my friends. What would I do mm-hmm. if my friend... I don't know. And I read a lot of articles of people like reviewing the movie mm-hmm. and some of the articles I read had folks like basically saying what they think Luke should have done yeah, or something like that. And so someone's like, you know, he could have broken the vodka bottle because he looks at he, it. He does. And he like hefts it to see like, you know, Clearly can I thinks do this? About it. But he's like torn by indecision and fear because he's fucking scared. Like it's valid. And so yeah. this person is trying to reason out what he should have thought. We're basically saying like, okay, well, there are only two of them. Neither of them have a gun. One of them has like a machete or something. Thing. right or like a pipe i don't know yeah, the, the article said machete i think it was like a pipe but yeah. neither of them i don't think had a gun and at least i don't remember it but i don't think so basically the author of this review said he should have come out because then i've been two against two and maybe they would have run away or maybe rob should have given up his wedding ring right and again i'm not blaming rob for what happened because no. it's not his fault that someone chose to do violence to it right it's like it's nobody's but, fault that any of this happened and also like it's so easy to be like, well, he should have just mm-hmm. done this and done that. It's not a brain but you're not trauma. Experiencing the fear that he's no. experiencing. I like, and listen, I know this movie's not real, okay? <laughs> but I'm just saying, it's so hard to just, why would you like leave a review of a movie and be like, well, this is what he should have done? It's like, well, then the movie wouldn't happen. No. So. <laughs> it's like the impetus. It is the like, we need event this that starts to happen. It. Yeah. And but. Yeah, that's so funny because, like, the whole time I watched it, in my mind, it was about friendship. I just took it as, yeah. like, this is about friends. This is about what happens when, you know, you 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 do something and you're kind of split. Yeah. Some friends know it's not your fault. Some friends will blame you. And it's, like, what happens when you try to keep a bunch of friends together yeah. who all clearly aren't actually friends anymore yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, masculinity never uh, crossed my mind. Why I, would it? Look at me. I'm a... I I'm a woman. <laughs> I was like reading his interviews and he's like, yeah, masculinity in crisis. I was like, okay, well maybe that was just like a thing that he said in an interview and then I checked across several interviews yeah. and he kept saying, I was like, okay, so this was top of mind for him. Interesting. And so I was like, okay, well I can't see it the way that he does obviously because no one will see the same thing as someone right. else, especially when they have different identities or like when there is that barrier. Yeah. I'm not saying that we can't try to empathize, but no, basically no, like but I will never see something exactly the same way that someone else does. I don't impossible. experience that. You know no. what I mean? Like no one's ever really said to me, well, 
Sounds like a shitty dad. But they're yeah. like, you got to be tough. You have to be this. You have to be that. You're not allowed to like be sad or that. It's like, I don't really experience that. Like other, yeah. if anything, I get the fucking opposite where they're like, you gross. Why are you gross? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, because I am. Leave me alone. I'm fucking gross. <laughs> Leave me alone. I'm gross. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, in high school, I was just like a nasty kid who like played in the dirt and like hung out with the boys and it was always like ew nikki you're not being ladylike ew nikki you're not so fine <laughs> ew nikki you're not so fine not so fine you're <laughs> gross you're gross hey nikki <laughs> i know i messed up the meter on it sorry <laughs> so yeah it's like I, I, it's hard to see it from the other way because i've always gotten the opposite yeah. obviously so that's interesting what yeah. a good nerd corner thank you this one's oh, i really like that one i mean i like Thanks. them all but that one was like ah oh, it really made me think because i didn't even yeah. didn't even occur to me that that would be something you could read into this movie. Yeah. Wow. That's why I like reading interviews. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah. I'm so surprised and excited. Um, yeah. Now it's time for horror. Horror. Oh, boy. Get in the notebook. <laughs> <laughs> um, This movie was interesting mm. because it's just so different than the last, like, three that we've done. So it was... um. <laughs> Weird to watch a movie that is just meant to be scary. And I mentioned this when we did Poltergeist. I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm excited to watch a movie that's just scary and not, like, funny. But it was so jarring. Because the whole time I was watching it, it was like, oh, fuck. (laughs) There are, like, like, five jokes in here, and they're very dry. Yeah, they are dry. Um, But even though it is not funny, still very good, obviously. Because, like, you don't need humor to make a good movie. Mm -hmm. Um, So... I did not do my little bullet points. So these ones are a little scattered. Um, I really liked. (laughs) Leave me alone. Um, (laughs) I really liked that um, they did shaky cam well. Mm. uh, Because it's hard to do when your movie isn't one or the other, you know? So, like, you can either have, like, Blair Witch that is completely supposed to be shaky because it's found footage, or you have films that are, like, just, you know, not shaky because it's not supposed to mm-hmm. be like a found footage kind of film. Um, so movies that have it in as like an effect to make a scene make more sense or mm-hmm. like just to like give you kind of like an ambiance have to do it well, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And they did, I thought. Um, the parts where they're walking specifically in spots that are like tough terrain or they're very confused or, like, specifically, I think when, what's his name? The one that gets injured. Dom. When Dom gets injured, like, you see it a little bit more because, like, he's on shaky ground, like, and they're lost a lot of times. So, yeah, they, I thought that that was really cool. I like when movies have shaky cam, but it's not necessarily for found footage effect. It's mm-hmm. just for, like, how they're feeling to, like, get you in the mindset of, like, what the characters could be feeling. I feel like there's a movie that I saw back before I liked horror films, which is like the non-twin Olsen. Is it Elizabeth? Yeah. Oh. And it's like the house in the street or like the house that, hmm. There's a few house movies. Is this the one that was shot in real time? Because that is one that we should cover. I really yeah, like that Because movie. like there's a part where she's running and yeah. it like stumbles yeah. around and it's wild. Yeah. So movies that use like shaky cameras to like successfully show you like what a character is feeling or to show like the intense moment of something that is happening. Or even like this one, they did it. It's really subtle. Um, It's like a little bit shaky just when they're walking. I think almost to just show like uh, they're not on a path anymore. Like this is more off the beaten trail. So I liked that. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really great. Um, I also took this movie to be not just about like friendship or about masculinity, obviously, Mm. because that never 
to me, it was all just about survivor's guilt. Yeah. I mean. To me, it was about guilt and shame. Guilt, shame, and like friendships that like disintegrate because of that, basically. And grief. Yeah. Yeah. So like, because the whole time you have, oh God, what's his name? The one that. Luke hid, or Hutch? The one that hid in the store. Oh, that's Luke. Luke. Main character, Luke. So you have poor Luke who thinks it's his fault like the whole time and is blaming himself. And he kind of like feels bad for being the friend that survived. I think because he thinks his other friend was maybe more more well-liked, was like the friend that they wish had survived. So he has this like horrible feeling of being like ostracized by his friends. And I think they do a really good job because there are so many good camera shots um, where you see all the friends together and Luke is like just off to the side, is just not quite in the same area as they are. There's a great moment where they're in the woods. I think they've been stuck in the woods for a little bit at this point, and they don't really have a lot of food. And you see, like, the camera kind of panning to show everybody, and then you see a light go on, like a flashlight. And it's right on Luke, who is on the edge of the woods smoking a cigarette by himself. He's always smoking a cigarette by himself. Always smoking a cigarette by himself. And you see the only person that is willing to, like, go to him and be like, yes, I believe you. I want to help you. I know I'm on your side is Hutch. Hutch. Thank you. And even that <laughs> breaks down to said a weird name again. Hutch. Hutch. So you've got Hutch who is like this bridge of like, he is the one that seems to be the glue holding everyone together. Mm-hmm. Everyone likes Hutch and Hutch seems to like everyone. So he has to be the one to be like, please just get along, please. And eventually you lose Hutch. Mm -hmm. Um, He's the first one. He's the first one to be killed. And not just killed, but like found. Gutted. Gutted and in a tree. Mm -hmm. Being the first sign that something's not right. Because like at first it it, it could be animals. At first it could just be like. A very crafty bear. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You can chalk a lot of things up to like. And that's what I also loved about the horror is that. It's very subtle in the beginning. Like, even though you find that deer hanging in the trees, it's not impossible that a bear could do this. It's highly unlikely. unlikely. Yeah. But, like, it is possible. Like, yes, a bear could climb up there with a deer and then let it go and it could fall. So, you know. This is Bear Facts. Brought to you by Nikki. Welcome (laughs) to Bear Facts. Welcome (laughs) to Bear Facts. Bear Um, Corner. (laughs) My favorite bear is a sun bear. Sun bears are great, okay? What? Sun bears are great. Thank you. I thought you were saying they were bad. And I was like, their tongues literally hang down to like their belly. It's hilarious. I would never say anything bad about sun bears. Love a good sun bear. But getting back to the horrible deer that's hanging from the tree. Um, (laughs) It's not impossible. So, you know, it starts out just like, that's not impossible. So it could have happened. And it's very subtle. Kind of like slowly being like, okay, well, that one's a little more or less impossible. Like this is when they go to the house and they find that creepy tree the thing. The effigy. Yeah. That's upsetting. Yes. But it's also like, who lives in the woods? I don't know. Who could have made it? I don't know. And it's not like moving on its own. No. It's not, it's just existing there in exactly. a way that is alarming to them because it is not something that they are familiar with. Once again, it's the fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. So they don't have an answer for it. It's, it's similar to like the Blair Witch, but in the Blair Witch, it's a little more... You have, you have like a set answer in the Blair Witch. Mm-hmm. You're finding these little stick figures and these creepy things, but they are there to find a witch. They are there to experience this. So they already have this set thing in their mind of what this could be. 
or it could be people making like, you know, picking on us. So here you have nothing to go off of. They haven't, they were not told any legends. They were not chased by anyone. Like they are just there on a normal trip. So it makes it even more scary because it is like 100% unknown. What is this thing in the, who knows? Maybe it's just an art project that someone left behind. Who knows? Like, and same with the the thing in the tree. It's not impossible. So why chalk it up to something supernatural? Mm -hmm. I mean, why would that be your first go-to? And that's what makes it so scary. Um, And this all came from me saying that poor Luke is by himself because he's kind of like, he's experiencing all these things with his friends, but he's experiencing them kind of alone. Yeah. Whereas they have each other to kind of be like, oh, can you believe this happened? Can you believe Luke feels like he's just by himself? Yeah. He feels alienated from them. Yeah. And you're really experiencing that with him because like you don't get a lot of dialogue. Like you mentioned in the beginning, people don't, talk to each other a lot which is another like cliche thing you get with like male friendships unfortunately which is that they don't communicate well you know and that's kind of shown here where it's like you don't get them talking to each other or doing anything other than like doing their classic like broing out yeah until they're terrified (laughs) You get it through, like, a few throwaway lines. They're like, oh, I got a hand job in one of those in a music festival. Right. Like, whatever. Like, one of the five jokes. Like, one. <laughs> and then you basically get them fighting over what to do. You don't yeah. get, like, them chatting as no. they go along. Like, they're stoic, silent, laconic. Like, they did not yeah. sharing. Even in the, I mean, even in the beginning, like, when they are still at the pubs deciding where to go, all you're getting is them fighting mm-hmm. over what they want to do. Like, I don't want to go there. I don't want to do this. And then... Pretty much immediately from there, you go right to the store and you get the incident that starts everything. Mm-hmm. It's just oh, jarring <laughs> to go from like them barely being friends, but still friends to them camping and almost just like putting on this act of being friends. It's just unsettling. Mm-hmm. And then you don't see them start to really, I don't want to say bond, but you don't see them really like fall into their friendships again until they're like terrified and being like fucking chased, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So that was really well done. I thought because like, uh, again, what's his name? The one that is found praying at the, uh, effigy Phil. Mm -hmm. Yes. You don't see Phil really talk much at all until he is lines. Yeah. Until he's sent upstairs to go look by himself, finds the effigy. You see him get scared. Um, but then you don't really see him scream or talk or do anything until he's found like praying in front of it and has no explanation. And all he can do is confide in his friends. And it's like, oh, God, that's so unsettling mm-hmm. to just be like, I, I, nothing brings you together more like praying in front of a terrifying right. elder god. Nothing brings it up like being manipulated into worshiping an elder abomination. <laughs> That's actually how Kate and I met. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember it fondly. Yeah. Also, I... Also, it's interesting that they go from, like, really crowded bars and really crowded streets to immediately just, like, boom, we're in the woods. And they have, like, that big pan shot where it shows how small humans are. Yeah. Compared to nature. Which is so funny because in the bars and stuff, you're getting very up-close, cozy kind of shots of, like, oh, look how, like, nice and tight-knit this is. And then it's like, oh, look how big the world is. <laughs> look how, yeah, it it was really cool. That was a really cool shot of going from that to instantly being in these like big sprawling woods with the mist where you can't quite like 
see everything that's there. Whereas in, you know, the bars and stuff, it's like neon lights. Everything's bright. Like, you can see everything. It's just bright and mm-hmm. terrible. Um, so that was great. I, I really like that. I mean, you only get that, like, once. But it's still, oh, my God, there's a plane. They know we're talking about the ritual and they're here. They know. They were like, y'all talk about the ritual? We love the ritual. We love that movie. Oh my God. I love the parts about masculinity. <laughs> I really saw Crisis of Masculinity. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you only get that shot like once, like with the crowded bars and everything. But it's a really great shot. And I feel like for me, I thought about it like the whole time. Like I was like, remember when they were together? Like when they felt together in the world and now they're just out here. Even though they're the only ones here and they should feel so close because this thing is huge and you would want to cling to your friends they feel further apart than they did when they were sitting in that tiny booth (sighs) i don't know wild loved it let's see oh uh i thought they did a great job with the really quiet moments i know we just talked about this This movie's very quiet i have comments on the sound mixing but i think it's because my tv sucks oh really what did you just have like was it like way too quiet so this might be the fact that my TV is my grandmother's oh. and that it is at least a decade old. Like it is not a young spring bird chicken, young spring chicken. I don't know. I know my home times. <laughs> uh, it's not young. It's an older TV. Yeah. And I like hooked up my Roku that was like a hand-me-down from a yeah. friend. Like I was so happy. And I'm also like really paranoid about how much noise I make. That's true. Because yeah. like you hear everything in my apartment. Yeah. And so I like want to make sure it's like 10 o'clock at night. I want to be respectful. I know right. that he goes to bed later because I can hear everything. But I wanted to be respectful of the fact that it's yeah. 10 and other people sleeping. And maybe you don't want to hear like this, unholy screeching. Yeah. Well, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Mm-hmm. It's a good sound. If it's not but... already part of your nighttime routine, it can be jarring. <laughs> That's true. And so I felt like the dialogue was so, so quiet. But all wow. of the sound effects were really loud. Like the yeah. storm and like any sound effect was super, right. super loud. The dialogue was really quiet. So I ended up turning – like I always have subtitles on because right. I'm that way. But I ended up turning it down to, like, 10 instead and, like, just not hearing any of the dialogue, only reading it. See, I think I got really lucky this time because I used to have a similar issue with my old TV. I just got a new one. Mm. And for me, it was, like, a lot better. I feel like it was just my TV. Yeah. Because for me, it was, like, the dialogue was quieter still, but nothing was, like, too unbalanced. It was, like... The storm was loud, but not to a point where I was like, ugh, turn it down. I was just like, ooh, that is supposed to, like, give you a fright. Like, mm-hmm. that's supposed to be a moment that, like, Jarring. jars you. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think I just got lucky that I, I happened to have a new TV for this movie. And, uh, wow, <laughs> it made a difference. I usually listen to everything on headphones, but because I was using right. my TV that is an old TV and not a smart TV, I was like, I can't connect my Bluetooth headphones yeah. to this TV. Yeah. So I was like, guess I'm listening on old school. Yeah, because... For me, it definitely was uh, done well. Yeah. Because the moments that were quiet were, like, purposefully quiet. Mm -hmm. There was a reason for it. I mean, they're in the woods. Like, I think sound, you know, if you go hiking in the empty woods, like, sound is going to make a big difference compared to if you were in, like, a big busy Mm -hmm. bar like they are in the beginning. So, like, words have to count, you know? Like, sounds have to count in these woods because it's going to make a big difference. Um, especially because they are hiding from things. Mm. So it's like, they don't know what they're hiding from. Is it an animal? Is it someone who can understand what they're saying and know, like, if you say like, I'm going to go hide behind that tree, a bear is not going to be like, oh, I heard they're going to go hide behind that tree. (laughs) 
But if you're I heard it from a little bird. I heard it from a little bird. I heard it from a spring chicken. A spring bird. (laughs) (laughs) But if you were like a person hunting another person, if you say like, yeah, I'm going to hide behind that tree, I'd be like, well, fuck, I I know where you're going. Stabby, stab, stab. Stabby, stab, stab. Yeah. You know, as it goes. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) as is the way. As is the way. So it's very upsetting, you know, to to be in a situation where you don't know what you're going to do. Is sound going to matter? So I feel like when they talked, it was very like, you could sense the uh, <sighs> anxiousness. What, what's the word I'm looking for? Like you could sense the dread mm, of dread, like, yeah. don't be loud and don't just be loud, but be careful what you say because I have no idea what is coming to get us. And that's something that's really fascinating when they were talking about the design of the creature. Yeah. And they were talking about like, you know, all of them had rave reviews of the mm-hmm. creature design. And I do have an apology to issue about the creature reveal. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> uh, but essentially, like, the person that designed the creature, don't remember the name at the moment, sorry. Um, but they were talking about the importance of balancing animalistic but intelligent. Yeah. Where it's like, there's a whole dialogue about what we say when we say, like, near human intelligence or what does intelligence mean to non-human creatures. Right. That's a whole separate discussion. Right. It's really fucking fascinating. Especially talking about, like, crows and stuff. Love crows. Uh, love crows. But, um, and a lot of their corvettes, too. Um, even though blue jays are dicks. Whatever. <laughs> I don't need to hear it here first, though. Fuck blue jays. <laughs> fuck blue <laughs> jays. <laughs> They're really pretty. <laughs> but fuck them. <laughs> anyway. Um, Kate's Crow Corner is not here. <laughs> Later. Later. Patreon. Uh, but essentially, like, they wanted to be able to visually show you that this creature is intelligent and it's also this like abomination of nature where it looks like an animal but it has the intelligence of a human which i love and i'm glad that that's because usually that's not something that i would pay attention to i don't know why i picked it up in this but knowing that like you have to be quiet because you don't know what you're you're dealing with but you're dealing with both Mm -hmm. so upsetting Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I just, I really liked it. I thought it was really well done because, hold on, I got to go back to my notes because I genuinely made some, I said, uh, the really quiet moments makes the suspense more important, but it also makes the relationships more important Mm. because it makes what they say to each other so important. Yeah. So whatever they're saying to each other has to be, it has to be meaningful in some way because they know that like talking is something that's going to get them caught or found. So I think you get some really genuine moments between the friends because of them having to stay so quiet. Mm -hmm. Even if it's not something important, it's just something that like maybe they haven't said to each other in a long time, admitting that they're scared, admitting that like, I want you to tell my wife like that I I miss her, I love her. Like Tell Dale. Yeah, I need you to get out of this so that you can survive. Like they know that talking is a hot commodity in this movie and i think they used it well to be like if you're gonna say something it's got to be important mm-hmm. and i really like that um i also said the awkward unspoken blame makes the movie even more intense like, obviously mm-hmm. because as i was just talking about how they have to make their words important what's even more important is the things they don't say yeah <laughs> because there are a lot of things that they don't say to each other but just from body language and from context clues, you just, you get it. Yeah. The fact that, um, I'm going to remember his name, Dom. Mm-hmm. The fact that Dom blames, yeah. <laughs> what's Luke. his name? Luke. The fact that Dom blames Luke 
that is almost just immediate. You just know. You can tell. Yeah, it's like just like when this... they're building their little memoriam. Yeah, or, you or can... in memoriam memorial. Yeah, you can tell that Luke is a little bit like away. He doesn't think he deserves to be here, and you can tell Dom feels the same. So just just as their words are important, everything they don't say is just as important because it was, they had to do so much work in their body language and just their uh, emotional energy with each other. And I applaud all the actors because, like, you picked up on it, like, immediately. Oh, yeah. I feel like Dom probably said the most. Oh, yeah. Out of all of them. And then maybe Hutch. Yeah. And then Luke and then Phil. Right. Or maybe Phil and then Luke because Phil does get a lot of words in when he's trying to say, like, this is fucked up and it's fucked up because this. And then Dom is like, stop being crazy. Don't go crazy. You have to stay sane. Right. Where it's like, Phil is pointing out the things that are occurring are fucking weird. And Dom wants to deny it. Right. Which is so... Which is another great moment of being so scary is because Mm. you have the one really, like, quiet, kind of reserved character, Phil, being the one to be like, I don't like this. I'm upset. I'm very scared. And then you have the one who has been deemed kind of a hypochondriac, who is like, oh, he's, he's faking his injury. Oh, he always does this, telling him to calm down. So, like, you're inclined to believe Phil in that moment. And you're right to believe Phil. So it's even more frustrating when people don't. So yeah, they used his like few moments of dialogue very well because like I just wanted to believe Phil the whole time. I was like, listen to Phil. Listen to Phil. <laughs> I loved Phil. Yeah. They just needed to. Um, and you understand why they don't. Where like, this is me personally. Mm-hmm. I can't speak for anyone else. But right. you know, we talked about like the idiot Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The idiot Paul. The idiot Paul. All these things. And it's like, they make decisions that in hindsight or like us knowing this is a horror movie, we're like, right. don't take the shortcut through the right. woods. We're like, we know you shouldn't do this. But at the same time, like it makes sense that Dom wants to deny it because that would open his mind up to all these horrors. He just wants to focus on getting the fuck out. Yep. He wants to do it his way, the way that makes sense to him. Right. Like I can understand why he is acting that way, even if oh, I don't agree. <laughs> 100%. And it's like, I more closely aligned with Phil where yeah. he's just like guys this is fucking weird and I don't know what to do with this information but this is bad yeah and then Hutch is like uh Dom you're making it up like I feel like you're uncomfortable but you're not miserable Phil we're just gonna keep fucking going and like Luke you're you're good buddy come on <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly I yeah I don't know which one I like see myself in the most of like what I would do in this situation oh I have no idea what I'd do but I feel like when things get like really upsetting like that, I become a I become a hutch where I'm like, mm. let's go, it's okay, everything's fine, and I just try to please everybody mm-hmm. to like get things done. Um, but in reality, I'd probably be a fucking dumb who's just like, I'm so upset. <laughs> non life threatening emergency situations, I have been excellent. Yeah, it is the non emergency situations in which I do not excel. Things become like an emergency. I'm like, we must be calm. Yeah. But then when things are just like. Oh man, my computer crashed. I'm like, I'm gonna throw my table. Flip table. No, I feel like we are the same in that way. Yeah. So it's, it's like if someone else needs someone to be calm, right. I can be that person. Exactly. If someone else is totally calm on their own and handles it, I'm like, I have permission it's to be turn. a little bit anxious right now. <laughs> yeah, and maybe that is what Dom is feeling. Like, I mean, mm, maybe yeah. because Hutch is so calm, he's like, you know what? Fine, I'm yeah. gonna lose it. Or Phil, either way, you know. Um, 
They both but lose also, it in their own ways. I think it's really interesting when they kind of make the realization, the very silent realization that like Dom has not been faking this injury. No, they see his knee and they're like, mm. it's really only Hutch too. Hutch is the one that I think sees his knee and everyone else is just kind of like doing their own thing. Again, Luke is off with a cigarette in the woods. Um, but Hutch is the one that sees his knee and is just kind of like, I've been a dick. But at that point, I think it's also like, it's too late. Like we're too far into this. Mm -hmm. I can't just be like, Oh, I'm really sorry. We can't go back. We got to keep going forward. You got to deal with it. It's that very, again, no dialogue is spoken, but you know, you know that Hutch is like, I'm sorry. Like he's looking at him like I fucked up. Uh, and that was really interesting. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the things they don't say are important. The things they do say, um, you have the classic lads photo before. Oh my God. I wanted all <laughs> I wanted from life, and I was denied this. All I wanted was to see the photo that to they took, the so that I could put it next to the descent photo. I, know. <laughs> I, as soon as they took their little lads photo, I laughed so hard because I was just like, classic. Of course they did. Mm-hmm. Like you gotta, you gotta. Um, yeah, it's great. Um. And then I wrote, oh, I wrote classic lads photo. Shit goes south. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so that's, and that's always what happens. It mm-hmm. shows you the calm before the storm. Mm-hmm. That's a very, I mean, that's classic, you know. Um, I love that trope. <laughs> this is one of the things that scared me the most was we already hit on this a little bit was that the fact that the creature is animalistic mm-hmm. and yet human-like. Mm-hmm. It had otherworldly animal sounds, mm. which this Hell is Hell is what that noise. Yes, and this is what I was kind of talking about last week with the poltergeist. Mm-hmm. This is what I didn't like about that one part where you have like very distinct lion sounds or tiger or whatever. It's just like, oh, well, that's an animal, but it's coming out of a ghost. Whoa, I, I'm kind of like, eh, not really scared anymore. Whereas this was just like a noise that was like, kind of sounded like an animal but also like echoed and made this weird sound that made it otherworldly and like not real almost it gave it like a dreamlike quality that i was like did they all hear that is this just luke like that's what i wanted out of the poltergeist i wanted to like not know or be able to tell what i was seeing or hearing i wanted it to be a little more like paranormal yeah uh so i think that they did really well with that because i had no fucking clue i was like what the fuck just happened it felt like a better version of Blair Witch Project, yeah. like the second, not the original, the like, um, that that remake kind of sequel it was, thing. That we... Yeah, it was kind of sequelish, but I don't remember if it was the third or the second. But it was basically not second. the original Blair Witch Project. Right. It was just the Blair Witch or whatever. Yeah, and it had so so many audio audio jump scares. Right. Where it was just that like screeching noise. Right. Or like this clash noise. Yeah. And I feel like this was a measured version of it. It was. Where it's like, we're going to introduce noises that are nature and mm-hmm. then what? Not. And that's the <laughs> And then part. question mark. <laughs> because it's subtle, it makes it scarier. So like, yeah, you can get like a second long scare out of me by doing a jump scare if like all of a sudden someone's screeching. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's going to get me. But if you want to make it like consistently scary throughout like putting it in between like nature sounds and then just all of a sudden giving you something that's not quite right Mm -hmm. it just like keeps you on edge because then you're like what the fuck was that Mm -hmm. like come on (laughs) yep and that's i really love that you know i love a movie with great (laughs) 
sound design. Dude, okay. I just want to do like I want to watch a documentary on Foley. I it's... want to spend my life oh, listening cool. and like watching Foley artists do their work. Just Foley artists, sound design, everything. It's all just so cool, and the things that they use to make that's so cool. I love it a lot, and you can do so much with good sound design mm-hmm. if you just like put your work into it and do it really well. And this is coming from someone who obviously doesn't actually do that for a living. I promise. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I just like it. If you want to hear really good sound, this is a plug. Uh, They're not making us do this. I just really fucking appreciate it. If you want to hear really cool, subtle sound design, check out Could Have Been Heroes Pod. Yeah, I know we talked about it last week, but genuinely though. No, genuinely. Like this is not just like, oh, they asked us. No, like we we both listen to the podcast. We both like it. And Aaron does the sound design. And like... I'm in the Discord because I'm a patron and you're in the Discord because yeah. you got in early enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the Discord is really awesome, by the way. Um, but basically talking about like why he added certain sounds yeah. or like, you know, he added this in. You may not have noticed it, but I think that really good sound design sometimes isn't noticed well, yeah, like that's... consciously, but it's subconsciously like yeah. you're uneasy. And yeah. it has really good sound design. It's just like the best part of like, I think good sound design is like not always knowing it's happening. Mm, yes. Until like maybe a re-listen or like just really taking it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes it's just really subtle. And yeah. I think that's when it's best. It's yeah. just, you know, when it creates an ambiance, makes you feel like you're there. It's yeah. not too over the top. It's it's just good stuff. Yeah. I love it. Could have been here. It's just great sound design. Um, yeah. Okay. Hold on. My, my notes are almost done. I love your notes. These ones are a mess. <laughs> I'm sure they're delightful. Um, I said the sounds are really scary. It keeps you wondering what's going on. And then in all caps, huge, I wrote, hand on the tree. The hand on the I tree, though. hated the hand on the tree. I'm mm-hmm. going to explain it so that people who haven't watched it yet will understand. But, I mean, this whole movie, you're seeing Luke, who is having flashbacks of himself in the store. But then you're also getting moments of him experiencing something following them in the woods. So we talked about this a little bit, but you're getting that um, unreliable narrator mm-hmm. from poor Luke because you're like, well, is he, you know, hallucinating? We, are, we already know he's seeing visions of the store that he was in that's clearly trauma. But now he's seeing things in the woods and they are experiencing things. So what's real? There is a moment. Oh, just thinking about it makes me want to like jump out of my window um there's a moment i just want to like lay in the grass and be safe like grass save me <laughs> protect <Grass> me <laughs> what is it about grass it's safe i don't know but it is it's not safe to me i'm um, quite allergic <laughs> <laughs> right sorry i'm offended <laughs> um but there's a great part where he's and like this whole time they're looking you're getting a lot of amazing shots through the trees um which makes it even more upsetting because you're like where are they in relation to these trees, you don't quite know. You're getting a lot of shots that feel claustrophobic, even though they're in this giant forest. Expansive. You have trees that are so close mm-hmm. together that it feels like you're trapped, even though, like, you've got so much space. Like, mm-hmm. so those were really amazing shots. I loved them. Um, and because of that, you're also getting, like, color that stands out when you do have it, because the trees are obviously very much, like, the same. So you're getting like very simple kind of nature, natural colors. So if anything does stand out, you're going to see their clothes, monster, fire, stuff like that stands out really well. So they did a good job of that. Um, But what you have is you have a shot looking at these trees from Luke's perspective. And again, you're getting like basically clones of each other. I mean, you've got tree after tree after Mm -hmm. tree that just looks like another tree. Blending. And at first, you kind of see something on the tree, but you're like, okay, well, I can't really tell. It's really far away. I don't know what that is. 
And then you see a hand that has reached onto the tree and it slowly just pulls away. And it is so creepy <sighs> because you do not notice that it's there really until it moves away. And then all you can think is, how long has it been there? It's like a gray hand. Exactly. Because it blends in with the fucking trees. The trees are very grayish and white looking. So you have this hand that just like, you know he's looking at something. And he's experiencing the same thing you are. Where he's like, I don't know, I kind of see something on that tree. But they all look the same. And Bart can sometimes, you know, look weird. And Mm. maybe it's just, I'm seeing something, whatever. And then it just moves. And it moves very deliberately. Like the fingers pull away in a way that's like... I want you to know that this is a hand. It's moving. I'm something. And I want you to see me mm-hmm. because like we said, the monster is animalistic and it's hunting its prey, but it's doing it with the intelligence of someone that knows it wants to scare you. It's real smart. <sighs> it's fucked up. So that part scared the shit. I wrote hand on tree. No, thank you. In tiny no, letters. <laughs> no, thank you. Because that scared the shit out of me. Mm. I will say for me, that was the biggest scare in the whole movie. Ooh. Okay, this is a this is a something is what I was about it's, to say. Something. This is a something. Now, oh, this boy. is a thing that I was wondering if we wanted to do going forward. Yeah. What we thought the scariest part of each movie is. I would love to do that mm-hmm. um, because I just did it. But this is one hundred percent for me. I I could not. As soon as that happened, I was like, oh no, 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 no. I did not like it. Oh, I'm <sighs> trying to figure out like jump scare versus like leaves me haunted versus yeah like pulls me into the story so like to me like a very like tragic sad part is when they see hutch in the tree and they're all just like reacting to it in silence we're all like no 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 yeah but then to me like the most creepy thing is when dom is like tied to the stake and he's being ritually sacrificed yeah as you do and uh Mulder, the creature comes up and puts its hands on his face and he's seeing his wife gail and then you see the glowing eyes in the dark the glowing eyes. That got me. <sighs> that part is um incredibly upsetting. Yes. Specifically because it's not necessarily the face of the creature either. Mm-mm. Well, maybe it is, but it's not where you would picture a face. It's like in the chest of the mm-hmm. creature almost. And so you just see the eyes. Yeah. The hands and the eyes. You don't see a face. Right. You just see glowing eyes. And that part is so upsetting too because if it he's seeing his wife... So what else have they been seeing that's been real? It makes you it makes you trust Luke as a narrator even more than you did before. Because at first you don't trust him because he's been having these flashbacks to the store. But if, if this creature can create this wife perfectly for, like, you know, for Dom, what else can it do? Mm-hmm. And you do see it later. We'll talk about it. But you do see it more later of what it can do, I think. The degrading I... store where yeah. it starts out like it is a perfect store in the wilderness. Yeah. And then it's a store with the ground of the forest. And then it's a store with like leaves like growing between. The... Yeah. Yeah. So, that was... so what can it do? Ugh, wild. I can understand why that would be the scariest part. That's fucking terrifying. That's actually something that gets into like Norse mythology where Loki is the trickster god. And, oh, interesting. Uh, where like he shapeshifts. Like, yeah. I wondered. I wondered if yeah. that was like specifically supposed to be like based on a god mm-hmm. that could do that because they say like he's old. He's old as time. Like, yeah, he's and they been say he's, forever. You know, a bastard child of Loki, right. and Loki is the fucking trickster god. And so like this idea Oof. of like implanting hallucinations and crafting visions and right. bringing your worst nightmares to the forefront is something that a child of Loki could do. What's really upsetting about that part too is that like it does it either to comfort Dom in that moment or to just be fucking cruel. Yeah. Because like, I don't know 
for how long Dom got to see his wife. They don't, it, it's very ambiguous of like, did he, he die see, before? Yeah. Did he see the creature? Because his wife walks to him, puts, oh God, it's so terrifying, puts like his hands, like her hands on his face and then picks him up by his neck. And at that point, you know, it's the creature. Like, we think we knew from the beginning that it was a creature, but he doesn't. So I don't know if he knew. I don't know at which any point, point he recognized or if he was ever, like impaled with extreme prejudice on the tree, still thinking and it was his wife, like right. embracing him. So either way, it's just cruel. Yeah. Was this was this thing doing it to comfort him in that moment to be no. like, here's your wife? Or was he like, here's your wife? Like, I'm going to fucking kill you. I don't know. But it it's very upsetting. So mm-hmm. yeah, good pick on that. I couldn't get over the hand. The hand is spooky as shit. It goes into that like nothing is scarier where you get just a small peek and you're like, Because that's it too. And then after you see like a shuffling between the trees, but you don't see a form. You just see that it's bigger than the hand. And what's funny is like before you see that hand, you do see a glimpse of the creature in the woods. Like you see a bunch of trees, like I said before, where you're getting these like repetitive, like trees, 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 repetitive. Yeah. Repetitive trees. And then all of a sudden, one of them kind of moves and walks away. So you do kind of get a sense that this creature is big and it looks like the forest. So then when you see the hand, it's just like, but I thought it was a tree. I thought it was a tree, though. (laughs) So, yeah, that's all my notes on horror. I mean, and that was the scariest part for me was the hand. Yeah. I have a few horror notes. Oh, yes, please. Okay, so the first one goes back to a quote from Bruckner, and it's on gore. Yeah. Uh, And so this direct quote um, I've made far bloodier movies. Usually I love going there, but I'm actually quite sensitive to how violence is employed. Violence. <laughs> how violence is employed. Uh, it can amplify some disgusting human behavior or shock something familiar into a state of panic, mm-hmm. as long as it contributes to the story in some way. There was something about the ritual, perhaps the earnestness of the characters or the familiarity of the conceit, that it felt indulgent to go too far with the gore. And so, like, when you have gory moments, you have, like, the torn open elk with the entrails right. dripping blood... Hutch's body in the tree, some tasteful eye gore, you know, or like eye gouging, however you perceive it. But it's not overdone and it's not constant. It's not like you slash a throat and blood squirts over the trees 20 yards away. It's very measured gore. Yeah. Where it's in distinct moments and it is isolated to those moments. Yeah, definitely. That's that makes sense because usually if a movie is like very gory, I I'm not I'm not a huge fan of gore, not because I'm like grossed out, but just because like I don't like it. I just don't, it doesn't scare me. Yeah. But with this one, it felt really deliberate. So it yeah. didn't, didn't bother me. I was just mm-hmm. like, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. And so I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Uh, from that perspective. Cause like, I don't think that I have super strong opinions on gore where it's yeah. like, I'm just not scared by certain things. Right. You I'm know, scared by a lot of shit. <laughs> I find gore to be a little more campy mm-hmm. than like actual horror, unless it's done well, which I thought mm-hmm. this one so did. Well, yeah. So. so I really thought that it was, like, used intentionally and used well. Um, yeah. And then with that in mind, this is not a unique or groundbreaking movie. It's no. a good movie. Oh, yeah. But it doesn't, like, boldly subvert tropes in a new way or twist the genre. Like, I think it offers a take on grief and guilt as monstrous yeah. or all-consuming. And it's a scary genre movie. For sure. But it doesn't, like, break the mold. No. I think the only thing that, for me, that breaks the mold is the creature design. And that's getting into my next part. Yeah. Yay. I take back what I said a while ago. This may not have been on the pod. It was probably just me to I think this, we talked about this in person, yeah. Yeah. I, I thought the first time I watched this that the monster reveal was a letdown. I will say in defense of myself, the first time I watched this was in two parts in grad school where I was just like sitting at my desk trying to avoid writing essays. <laughs> and I was like, mm, dumb monster. Like, Don't that's like it. 
<laughs> I tend to have the opinion like less is more, mm-hmm. like nothing is scarier. Like that's what I tend to, even though it frustrates the shit out of me because it's like I want to see the monster. I want to see it. But then like when I don't see it, I'm like, I appreciate you, you fucking crafty little bastard. Yeah. But I think that in this case, the horror was not reliant on mystery. Right. It like built off a sense of dread. Yeah. But there was like the total alienness of this mutated creature, child of a god, fits well into Eldritch Abomination territory. And I'm going to come out and say it. I'm very pro-motor. Yeah. Modor? Modor? Modor. Modor. I will say also, because I was always on the monster side. Yeah. I, this was one of the very, very, very few movies where seeing the monster did not, like, it did not make me less scared of it. Because, like, there's a classic part. I know we haven't done this movie, and we will cover it. But uh, you haven't seen it. But the movie Signs, this is, like, the this, I don't know why, but for some reason this is the one I always go back to. And it's the one I feel like a lot of people go back to. Because the whole movie is built on, like, aliens. Oh, my gosh, there's aliens. There's aliens. Then there's a part where you see it in, like, a grainy moment on VHS. And even that is very scary because it's a grainy VHS and you can't quite see it. But then by the end, you like see it up close and personal. And I think for a lot of people, including myself, I was very much like, eh, I'm bored now. Once I saw the ending, I was like, whatever. But with this, because I just couldn't grasp what it was, no matter what, it became his wife. It could do so much. It had, like, even when it's on four legs versus two, it changes. Yes. When it's on its four legs, I'm like, oh, it's kind of like a deer, mm-hmm. a huge deer with trees like on it. But then it lifts itself and it has like a human torso with like antlers for its arms. And it just never made sense. So mm-hmm. my brain never got used to it. Yes. Yep. So it didn't matter how many times you sh- you showed it. It was just like, no thanks. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank you. So, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Could I nope out of here, please? <laughs> yeah. I, I. It didn't matter how many times I showed it. I was just so like, I can't quite figure this out. So yeah. I'm still so scared of it. And I yeah. think that that's. I'd say very well done yeah. because usually showing the monster is like, I feel like a lot of people who make movies would probably be like, well, if I'm going to show the monster. I got to make it scary in the beginning because no one's going to like it, you know, once I show it. But they did a great job because yeah. I was still so scared. Yeah. <laughs> no, I definitely think that I was a little bit too harsh in my original, uh, you know, analysis of the monster. And yeah. I don't think the reveal ruined it. I thought like, on a second watching, knowing the entire time what the monster would look like, I was still scared of shit. Same. I mean, because like, I had seen this before, too. The dread is built in different ways. It's not, like, just about the monster. It's no. about the horrific lengths that humans will go to to preserve their life. Yeah. And it's that about selfishness. We haven't even talked about, about oh, that. Oh, God. That's very upsetting. I. That's one of the tropes I have. Oh, good. I We're have almost there. One more element of horror. Oh, yes. Go. Okay, so there were little moments of humor, like, peppered in there. Yeah. And so it's not Get Out level. It's not an American Werewolf in London no. by any means. But it's that moment where they're pouring out the flask, and it takes way longer than anyone anticipated. Phil looking at it and being like, and just like stop. Like, he dude. almost looks like he's like, that's a lot to waste. And like, they're also like, wow, the flask can hold that much? And it's just yeah. like, this look. And then, you know, Luke tries to shoot the cultist, but the gun jams. And, like, he's trying to clear. He's like, oh, shit. And he's trying to clear it. And in clearing it, he shoots the cultist. Yeah. <laughs> Or, like, the moment when they walk into that abandoned fucking house and, like, this is the house we die in. (laughs) Nothing will be funnier than the moment Luke decks that old woman. Oh! (laughs) I'm an unholy noise just now. My last note is, 
decked that old woman. Where he just like looks at her and he's like, punch. Because he knows at that point that like, I don't have a gun. I don't have anything. And he's like ready to fight. And then the last person in his way is this old woman who's just like, hello. And he's like, ah, fuck. Hello. And he just punches her. Because he's like, what are you going to do? Like, he's like, yeah. what are you going to fuck? He just punches And she's old- like, clearly the elder because she goes in and she yes. like you know notes that he has yeah, the similar like, scars him, like, the scar. yeah and so like she is clearly in charge of some shit because <laughs> she's calling the shot and he just punches her in the face he's <laughs> just like listen i've been through so much i am not gonna let an old woman get tired. my way i'm very tired <laughs> very tired i don't think you know what i've gone through <laughs> i straight up like i did my nasty laugh which kate you know my nasty laugh where i just do okay everyone who doesn't know my laugh i'm gonna sh- <laughs> You know, you know the Simpsons, the character that just goes, ha, ha, like, that's what I sound like when I, I'm genuinely ha, laughing. <laughs> yeah. Like that honk laugh. I Kate love knows your laugh. This. When I type in chats and I write H-A exclamation point, uh-huh. I mean that with uh-huh. all of my oh, soul. Oh, she does. It's not like LOL, but like, you know, exhaling through the nose. It's like, yeah, like she really <laughs> means it. I mean it. And when people see that, they're like, oh, that's kind of rude. You just wrote one ha. I'm like, that's how I laugh. It's earned. So if you get it, <laughs> you're welcome. So during this, I even wrote it after I wrote Decked That Old Woman. I wrote, ha, two exclamation points. <laughs> two exclamation points. Two exclamation points. Because I fucking had to pause it. He decked her and I went, ha, and I screamed. And I had to pause it because I was like rolling on the ground. Because he's just like, boop. <laughs> he just fucking gets her, man. And she's just like, down. She's There's down. No, because she's like, what, like a hundred years oh, old? Oh, she is uh, aged. <laughs> she, she didn't stand She's no chance. spring bird. He could have just pushed her and she'd fall, but he... The strong wind her. knocks her down. I lost my mind. Oh, it was great. So I think that, like, you know, we mentioned there are probably, like, five moments of genuine, yeah. like, and this is a joke or this is really right. fucking funny. And even then, they're very dry, very like you dry. said. Like, the part with the flask, it took me a minute to realize that was, like, funny. At first, I was just like, oh, like, it's a really sad moment. They're dumping it. And then I'm like, it's still going. It's this going is kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, you know, they're very dry like that. Yeah. Except for the decking the old one. I don't even know if that was meant to be comedic, but he just fucking goes for it. I love it. it. And, like, that was actually listed in an article I read about the humor, but I think another thing is kind of just interesting where the director's american mm-hmm. and all the actors are british oh, and yeah. it's a quote-unquote british movie it is, yeah and it, there were like there was a question in the interview like did you ever have to like go to the british folks and say like is this funny and like he said there were a few times where like that doesn't make sense to a brit and he's like well it's very american and so like they changed a few things but i mean yeah, yeah i guess it is kind of a a classic thing where like british humor is a little more dry yes so I could understand why most yeah. of the jokes were very dry. Mm. So I wonder if like them punching the old woman was an American thing because uh, classic American. idiot American, I lost yeah. my mind. I was like, ah, yes! And, like the bumbling of the shotgun, that feels very American, you know? Just like, oh shit, oh shit, ah shit. Like <laughs> it was the very, very few moments. Like I'm laughing hard right now, mm-hmm. but in the moment, like it's still quite scary. So yeah. I was like, ha ha ha. I was like, ha, 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 for the old woman where I had to pause it because I was laughing so hard. Yep. Um, yeah, that's, I didn't even think about that. Good point. Yeah. I didn't even think about the humorous moment. Oh, oh man. God. Are you ready for tropes? I'm so ready for okay. tropes. So I mentioned this to Nikki uh, in our special, special chat, basically where I was like, hey, I have my list of all the tropes, but I only want to focus on a few because my nerd corner was longer. <laughs> 
Uh, so I'm just going to go through a few in depth, but I do have like my full list of tropes. Which we usually have a lot of repeats too. So oh, this, yeah. Yeah. And I have like my mm-hmm. list of just like we've talked about these extensively. They appeared here. <laughs> right. And I always put all of the tropes I talk about plus some extra in the extended show notes. And that is not an exhaustive list of all the ones that are listed on oh, I bet. the TV tropes. <laughs> Uh, because TV tropes is like a crowdsource kind of wiki thing. Mm-hmm. And so like sometimes it's like, I don't think that's actually a very good representation of this trope. Right. So I won't include it. Or like, I don't think I have a lot to say about this, so I won't include it. So like my list is already pared down, but this time I'm paring it down even more. <laughs> because we had a hefty nerd corner. We did, but hefty, it was hefty. such a good one. Thank you. You're welcome. So the first trope is age without youth. So mm. the cultists are granted eternal life, but not eternal youth. She says like, we are beyond age and death and pain. But when the cultists in the attic, like, he hears these, like, voices, and then he opens the door, and it's all these mummified remains, and you think, it's just a fucking bunch of skeletons. Right, but then they... They start moving, and they start talking, and he burns them, and they start screaming. Those are the cultists that have been granted, (gasps) like, prolonged life by Loder. See, I was going to ask you about this, and I know we just got into tropes, sorry. No, that's good. But this part slightly confused me, because I didn't know if they were cultists from before... Or, and I guess they're more like believers. It's, mm. I guess it's a cult. More spurs. Yeah. Um, I thought they were the the bodies of the people that were downstairs, but like yeah, like that Dorian Gray kind of thing where like those age, they don't kind of thing. I thought, okay. So I see what you're saying about the Dorian Gray thing. I thought the first time I was watching the movie that it was like, oh, these are their victims that are like yeah. forced to blah, blah, blah. But they make a point of saying, we do not move the bodies. They do not pull the bodies from the trees. Right. Because you see a bunch of them. Yeah. You see the skeletal remains. It's great. It's scary. Uh, And so, like, the whole Dorian Gray thing, like, this is their aging bodies versus this is their youthful appearance. They are not youthful. They're not youthful. (laughs) Which is why I was so confused. Yeah. Because I was like, if they're aging, why is that old woman that gets decked in the face? They're the older ones. Wow. Yeah. So. That's scary. Uh, this like trope, age without youth, can show up in curses or poorly yeah. phrased wishes or from like a really dicky, like, or dickish rather, a wish granter. Yeah. Be like, haha, you wished for eternal life, but not youth. Oh, God. Sucks to suck. But like here, I think it emphasizes like the unnaturalness and like the horror of what the cultists are doing. Yeah. Um, and like really underscores that. Because. If you so, do you, this is supposed to take place in? Do you know? Is it supposed to be modern, like twenty seventeen? Well, they make a joke about Brexit. Oh, okay. Because so, I put in my notes, Brexit? Question mark? Question mark? Question mark? So it's like a modern yes. movie. Um, because it that girl that's in it, she's mm-hmm. the girl from the photo. Yeah, from like the eighties. From the eighties. Yeah. So she looks appropriately her age, which is why I was like, she's got eternal life, but she's still aging. So it was very much like. Yeah, I wondered about that. I was going to ask you about that. I'm glad it's one of the tropes. Yeah. Because I was like, well, they're aging, but they've got like this eternal life. So they just become those nasty husks. Yeah, they become husks. That's a really good point. I'm a husk of a woman. I'm a husk of a person now. Uh, I can't. I'm a husk. (sighs) I'm sorry, you can't do that. I can't help you move. I'm a husk. I'm a husk. I'm just a husk. I'm just a little husk. I'm just a little husk. (laughs) Where'd this come from? Stop me. I'll do this forever. hair flip. I'm a husk. Yeah, you can't see it, but I'm flipping my hair. It's great. I'm just like a little husk. Nikki's hair flips are much better than mine. (laughs) I have long, nasty, big hair. No, she's got... Big ass curls, and I have like you know. Kay has beautiful green hair. Stop Thank it. You. 
Thank you. My swamp witch life. <laughs> yeah, you're a swamp witch and I'm a nasty little gremlin. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> and I'm a husk. <laughs> and I'm a husk. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, we've had, okay, this trope has appeared before with the armor-piercing question and the mm. armor-piercing response. Like, we had it in a few things, but yeah. definitely Jennifer's body. Yes. Where it's like, are you that insecure? And it's like, I'm not insecure, whatever. Stop it. <laughs> but here's the armor-piercing response where Luke is like, yelling at Dom like we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you like if you hadn't yeah. fucked up your knee and complained all this time like we wouldn't have gone through the woods and then Dom says no we wouldn't have oh. been here if it wasn't for you as soon as he says it I was like oh no 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 because no, you no. know what's coming the whole time oh yeah like because I like said. that tension is boiling and boiling it's and then it finally unspoken. bubbles over and unsaid accusations are finally said and by oh. Dom who is remarkably passive aggressive yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, that was a tough moment yeah, it fucking sucks. And then you have Hutch, who has been on Luke's side the yeah. entire time, like takes him to the side and says, I don't care what anyone says. It's not your fault. Yeah. I'm here for you. And then after this confrontation with Dom, Luke and Hutch go off on their own because one of the – I think Hutch punches Dom. He's like, shut the fuck up, dude. Yeah, because so does something. Yeah. Dom is being divisive as shit. Right. And saying what he feels, whatever, and he's in pain and he's scared. And then Luke and Hutch, like – go off in one direction Luke is like do you blame me is it my fault and Hutch says I don't know and that is just like a gutting response because Luke thought he had one person maybe on his side and to me it felt like he put so much hope in the fact that he felt redeemable to one friend but it was so tenuous and that just very fragile hope was just fucking shattered and I don't even blame Hutch for it too because I don't think that he he, I think he genuinely doesn't know Mm -hmm. where he's like there are probably days where Hutch is like no like obviously like what do you do in that situation Mm -hmm. but then there are days where he's probably like if he had got up maybe my friend would be alive like both of them would be alive it's hard it's so hard I really liked Hutch in this movie his character was great because it was this classic friend that just wants people to be friends he was the peacekeeper which was was. a strange role for him because he's kind of a dick about it he is he's like kind of a dick but he's like also like doing it to you know he's doing it it for the good of the group he is and also i found his like energy of being like a dick that classic male yes that's what i took from it because he was like no you're fine i think you're just uncomfortable where he's trying to like keep people's spirits high by challenging them he was the masculinity that if if that's what he wanted from this yep. movie, he is like the pillar of the masculinity yes. that he wanted others to be. And then he's killed first. Yep. So it's like, perhaps if this is what he wanted, it's supposed to be like, masculinity is not going to save you. If I was to read it into it that way, that's yeah. how I would take it. Yeah. But yeah, it's like masculinity is not going to save you. It doesn't matter how tough that you are. It doesn't matter how much you stick it out. Like, you're not safe. Yeah. <sighs> okay, continue with tropes. We could do this forever. <laughs> no, it's good. Uh, so skipping through some, we have the definite article title. So like articles are like, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, the, there's only one definite article in English. There are more in other languages, but it's the. So if you say the, it can refer to a like specific instance of something. Yeah. It can. This is all direct quote from tvtropes.com. It can highlight the event or object's specialness, so like the fly. Yeah. It can imply that the given noun is a perfect example of itself, the Terminator. It can oh. imply celebrity when preceding a character's name or title, the tick. <gasps> the uh, tick. It can imply there's only one event, object, or creature, the thing. And so like in this one, it's the ritual. It's not just ritual or a ritual or some ritual. It's like the ritual. It's like some ritual, whatever. 
And so, like, I spent a while just, like, kind of spiraling around this because that's what I do. But also because it's, like, is it the ritual because, like, Americans see themselves as the centers of their own universe? And, like, that's just an inherently human thing to perceive yourself as the center of the universe. Right. But also, like, the ritual of saying, like, this is the ritual that will get them. This is the ritual that matters in this instance. Or is it, like, this very centralizing? I don't know. I'm not, like, phrasing it very well, but I thought it was very interesting that it's not just a ritual that is encountered. It's, it's the, the ritual. ritual, yeah. The ritual that will kill them. Ugh. Ugh. Yep. Um, let's see. This is the one that I kind of teased earlier. Uh, so this is Immortality Immorality. And I'm not going to lie, the first time I read this and then the second time I read this, <laughs> I, was, I read it as <laughs> Immortality Immortality. And I was like... And I literally thought to myself, so nice. You said it twice. I was like, it would make so much more sense if the second one was immorality, because then it would really capture this. And then I went back and read it again. And I was like, ah, yes, there is one letter difference. Got your wish. I did. So wait, hold on. No, don't stop it. <laughs> no. Scratch your new couch. Like, don't. I got a new couch and Noodle thinks he can scratch it like my old one and he's mistaken. Especially as he looks like he does right now. Stop. My cat got a nasty haircut. It's incredible. He's bald everywhere but his legs and his head and his tail. He's got he boots. Oh, he looks terrible. His little paunch and his little nips. He looks like he's, we said he looks like he's wearing a little turtleneck. Uh-huh. He looks like a, a, very a villain in a ski movie. Most accurate description. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I had to yell at my cat. I'm sorry, Kate. Oh I didn't mean to derail you. <laughs> yeah, no, best. he's coming. Just... He heard us and he was like, what'd you say about my nips? Oh. <laughs> I just want to smoosh his face so bad. Okay. Don't scratch my couch. Okay. I love you, though. <laughs> so immortality, immorality, as apparently it is called. Uh, so tvtropes.com narrows it down to like three different ways of approaching it. And this is a direct quote mm-hmm. of like why it's immoral yeah. to look for immorality. Nope. Yep. <laughs> why it's immoral to look for immortality. Yeah. So you have immoral immortality is achieved through ethically dubious forms of applied phlebotonium. Nope. Mm-hmm. Phlebotonum. It's a fake word. It doesn't matter how you say it. <gasps> Uh, oh, 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 oh. I said so many words just now. <laughs> Applied phlebotonum. Uh, and they actually have a joke about how British people would say, probably say phlebotinium. I was just about, I was like, phlebotinium. Aluminium. Aluminium. Sorry, Amy. <laughs> we love you. My one British friend is probably just like, shut the fuck up. I do want to apologize to Amy. Why did he fucking mock there the other day? <laughs> no, let's come back to that though. <laughs> on holiday and i trying to mirror language and reflect back what i heard was oh where are they going on holiday <laughs> just like, you mean where are they going on vacation kate that's what you meant to ask her but instead you said on holiday like where are they going on holiday <laughs> when you say i mocked her are you saying when i used an accent to say something that i always say or when i asked if she had the same accent as christopher eccleston <laughs> Because there are many options. No, that one was fine. It was when we were talking and we were like, man, I don't like that. And we all went, I don't like that. And and like, poor, poor Amy, who is actually British, was just like, what the fuck? Like, I always say that. That is not me saying it to her. That is not me mocking like a British person. I always said, because it's a quote that I don't remember where it came from. I don't like it. 
she just was like, what the fuck? What the fuck, guys? And then the other day I said something too. Or, oh, I said fucking hell. And she was like, did you just say fucking hell? Fucking like, hell. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I just, I don't know why I say it. I watch a lot of British comedies. Yeah. <laughs> this is just our segment on Sorry, Amy. I don't even know if she listens, but I'm sorry. Alu- <laughs> sorry, <Amy>. Aluminium. <laughs> Aluminium. <laughs> Amy, say it. Say it, Amy. <laughs> Oh, Say it or you're American. <laughs> Say it or you're American. <laughs> oh, God, a curse. Anyway. Oh, so, one of three. Immortality is achieved through ethically dubious forms of applied phlebotinum. Phlebotinum. So, phlebotinum, or phlebotinium, <laughs> is basically just a soft science way of explaining something. Yeah. So, it's like, hey, we used the science to figure out faster than light drive on the spaceship yeah. where it's like you don't think about it too hard and like the creator doesn't have the science because it's fake right and the audience is not supposed to look too closely right so it's basically saying like sure we worship this creature that exists and then we never die so <laughs> like, shut your mouth stop asking questions stop asking questions Okay, then there's immortality is bad in and of itself, even if attained without using evil means. So this is all a direct quote from tvtopes.com. Perhaps it's, quote, meddling God's domain, which tends to not end well for the meddler. From a secular viewpoint, perhaps immortality is bad for society, even if it's great for individuals. Yeah. Some works suggest that immortality in itself is damaging to valuing other people's lives. If Mm -hmm. most people's lifespans seem to pass in the blink of an eye for you, why care if they end slightly earlier? Right. So like in a lot of fantasy, fake creatures live fucking forever yeah like so fucking long and so they're like oh humans are the blink of an eye like you don't matter you're insignificant and so it's like that is to us immoral because we feel quite significant in our own lives i feel significant (laughs) and then this last one is kind of interesting uh but thank you tvtropes.com so and perhaps most obviously immortality exempts one forever from the possibility of going to hell when death oh. is no longer the great equalizer, there's absolutely no way you can ever get a truly cosmic punishment. Why should you restrain yourself from doing whatever the hell you want? Or less, I skipped some things because it's really graphic and upsetting. But like, why would you try to be a good person when you know there will be know, no yeah. afterworld consequences so, for your actions? Okay, so I meant to ask this earlier as well. They can't die? To me, because they seem to die. Because she like <laughs> says like past death and past pain, and so it appears to me that the husks of the cultists still have animation, but it's like not full life. But they're not dead. Right. But like, what happens like to the guy that was shot? To the one that mm. was like, what? What happened? Are they dead or are they just like incapacitated because like? Their bodies need to go through that pain, and then it'll heal. So, okay, this is going to be me getting into Percy Jackson the Olympians. Uh, but Fucking nerd. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just kidding. Everyone's <laughs> probably like, yeah, I love those. <laughs> uh, yeah, Kate's nerd corner, right? <laughs> but I am unapologetically a nerd. Like, I claim that title Hell for yeah, myself because I know that's how I fucking am. But anyway, like, in Percy Jackson's, like, in Rick Reardon's version of um, Greek mythology, the hunters of Artemis cannot die. They have eternal youth and eternal life, but they can be killed in combat. And so, like, if a hunter of Artemis is slain while battling, they die. But otherwise, they stay the age that they joined the hunt as. And they, like, don't go, they don't age, they don't, like, go from sickness, but they can die in battle. So these people in the woods, like, 
they don't have to worry about like dying of natural causes or getting sick or something yeah. like that. They basically just have to worry if someone punches them in the face. Yeah. And don't set me on fire, please. It will kill me. Okay. I wondered. Sure. I just wasn't sure. Yeah. And I didn't know if you knew or if maybe it was just something I missed. That's my interpretation of it. Yeah. But it could be that they exist as the pirate, cur- the cursed pirate the in cursed the pirate. Sea of Thieves yeah. where he's a skeleton and he's like, this sucks. I'm just a head. Like, yeah. Where he's still sentient, yeah. but he is no longer living. Because those husks, yeah, like they're sentient. So perhaps like they are still, yeah. maybe that's worse. I mean. to say. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. But yeah, uh, I have some more that are just kind of like you know, vague. Yeah. Um, that I didn't go super deep into. Right. But there's also this list of like tropes to me that like we've already covered before or just really make it fit in like that classic genre movie. Yeah. Where it's don't go in the woods. Right. Dwindling party. Yeah. Fatal force march. Foreshadowing. Folk horror. Hell is that noise. Nothing is scarier. And shortcuts make long delays. Where it's, yeah. like, those are basically any, like, lost in the woods, you shouldn't have gone in the woods. Like, those are the tropes. Right. Yeah. Those are kind of your basic. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my new version of tropes. <laughs> that was good. I like that. Because I, I feel like when we get the repeats and stuff, it's, we've gotten far enough into the the podcast now where I feel like a lot of us know what those ones are going to be. Yeah. But the ones that I don't, or the ones that are just done differently in yeah. certain movies, it's always nice. Or like to when like, they're subverted. Yeah, when they're subverted, it's yeah. really great because I love, subversion. I love the tropes, and sometimes, like with Ginger Snaps, I picked up on them pretty well. Yeah, I just happened to be like, oh, I saw that, I saw that. Mm-hmm. Um, but in some of them, I really don't. Like, I really just like I get sucked into whatever I'm seeing in the moment that like I don't see them. So whenever you do it, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> So sometimes it's nice to just, like, focus on the ones I, I wouldn't have known. And that's something I love about tropes is that because they are storytelling conventions, people notice them, but they don't yeah. name them. You don't say, like, oh, that's applied to Latin. I'm like, right. you don't just sit there unless you, like, study them and, right. like, are nerd about it. Like, you just watch them and appreciate them and yeah. understand because, like, they're kind of shortcuts sometimes. Yeah. It's, like, an unspoken thing that yes. everyone kind of knows, but we yep. don't. But I mean, obviously, it's spoken now. We're speaking it. Mm-hmm. But... Usually it's just something that like everyone kind of knows. So yeah, it's cool to like look back and see the ones that aren't quite as obvious. I really liked that. That was yeah. great. What a good tropes Thanks. section this week. Good everything. Woo! Ugh. Are you ready to rate this movie? I am. I am. I know you said you had some uh I have some ideas. Three, but okay. one of them has an A and B version. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, so tasteful eye gore or tasteful eye gouging. Okay. That is uh, 1A and 1B. Right. Uh, two is Screams of Dominance. Because when he escapes, <laughs> oh, he we just We didn't even talk about that part, oh, but it's yeah. so good. It's good. Because it just felt like such a little kid moment mm-hmm. where you leave and you're like, he knows that that thing can't leave the woods. So he just screams at it like a little kid being mm-hmm. like, I know you can't fucking get me. Yep. And the thing is like just as angry, like a little kid. Like it's just like, Meh, I'm mad. And it walks away. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I just, we had to talk about that part. No, it's I incredible. I love that part. He just looks so like, I fucking did it, you jerk. Like, yep. you ass had I survived. I survived. Just it's, like you thought yeah. I wouldn't. And the monster's just like, huh. <laughs> yep. Great. Okay, love it's that. It's like that traumatized, giddy, yes. like, overwhelmed emotion thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then my last one, Eldridge Abominations. Because that's what Mother is. Okay, so the only one that I thought of <laughs> was, um, like, two full or forever full flasks. <laughs> two flasks that won't empty. Unending flats. <laughs> Unending flats. Yes, exactly. Or like, 
awkward flask moment. Spooky stick attic men. Like, <laughs> spooky stick attic men. <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, God. Creepy pale hands. Ugh, creepy oh, creepy pale hands. Oh, God. So scary. Glowing eyes. Glowing eyes. Um. <laughs> old woman punches. Old woman punches. How many old woman punches? I would punch this old woman like four and a half times. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> Yo. Okay. Do you want to do old woman do you punches? Do old woman? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's my turn to go first. What did we do last time? Poltergeist? Uh, yes. yes. No, it is. Okay. It is. We'll we'll lose track of this any minute yeah. now. Don't worry, guys. <laughs> Don't worry. Uh so this is not like hard to figure out, but it's just kind of like what criteria am I judging it on? Because to me, mm-hmm. like it is a cast of mostly white men. Right. Where, like, there are a few female characters, but of the men, literally one of them is a token, like, person of color. Right. And it's not something that is, like, relatable to me personally because right. I have never been a man. <laughs> I identify as a cisgender woman. So it's, yeah. like, this is not something that is inherently relatable to me, but I can see a lot of, like, right. relatable things. So I'm not saying, like, oh, it's men, so I can't understand. I can't but do this. <laughs> like, based on the themes that the director was following. Right. It's not, like, a movie where I'm supposed to see a lot of myself. Yeah. Um, and I think that, like, it's just a good genre movie. Where, like, it fits into that genre. It's not groundbreaking. It's scary. Yeah. It's atmospheric as fuck. I really enjoyed it. But I don't think it's, like, get out level by any means. No. And so I think I'd give it, um, was it old lady punches? Yeah. No. I would, I would punch the old lady four times. I would give it four old lady punches. okay. Cool. Okay. So we're definitely on the same page then. Okay. Because I was expecting less. I was like, Kate's going to say like a little low number. I'm going to say two, negative two. I reverse punched Um, the old woman. (laughs) I will say, see, I will, I'm going to, I'm going to rate it before I knew that this was supposed to be about like masculinity. Mm, Yeah. Because like, again, that's something that I, I don't experience it. So I didn't necessarily pick up on that. Yeah. So both the times that I've watched this, I watched it from the lens of like losing friends, grief, you know. Stuff that, like, I myself can yeah. relate to. So even though I'm obviously not a white man, I was like, yeah, like, I just because I'm not a man doesn't mean that we don't yeah. grieve, we don't whatever. So we don't feel guilt or shame or regret. Right. And simply because of, like, the monster design, yeah. things that, like, I don't need to relate to to enjoy yes. was, like, camera angles, lighting, setting, and sound design. Mm. So, like, for all those reasons, again... I have a punch that lady four times. Boom, yeah. boom, boom. Like, yeah. three. Boom. <laughs> I was like, where's the last one? <laughs> Sorry. That one's just a good one. Um, yeah, I had punched that lady four times because, like, yeah. I really did like it. I won't say five because, like you said, I mean, it was just the it was white men. I did feel like they had one character who wasn't, and it felt kind of like a, a cop-out to be yeah. like, he's not white. And it was yeah. like, okay. He didn't get a lot of character development. He really didn't. He got the, the least, kind yep. of. Like, he spoke the least. And even though I did mention that, like, I thought that him not speaking was important. Like, yes. I thought that when he did speak, it was important. It just felt like any character could have been that. And it's just, yeah, I don't know. So, four, for sure. I agree with you on everything. I thought, like, seeing the monster and it not being disappointing is yeah. such a big thing. Because mm. I feel like it's so easy to be like, well, now I don't care. But in this one, I was genuinely still pretty scared. So I thought they took a very classic movie... Like you said, like, it's not groundbreaking. There's nothing in this that's, like, like get out, where it's something that really hasn't been done before and is seen from so many different angles that, like, it's just wild. Yeah. 
But because their monster design was so interesting, I can watch it many times and still be like, what the fuck? And that hand, I'll never forget that hand. Mm. That was so subtle and so great that like, I got to give it four for that. Yeah. So collectively, we would punch the old woman eight times, oh, yeah, which is solid. God. She went down with the first ones. The extra, she's definitely just, like, down with the first one. But yeah. you know, like we said, if they can't feel pain, they can't die. Like, yeah, she's what, fine. What's eight punches? Get you up! Know? <laughs> what? What are you a husk? <laughs> Get up! <laughs> so I think with our violence toward an old woman. I'm sorry, old woman. I'm sorry. She's a cultist. She sacrifices oh, right. people. She's a cultist. Fuck you, old woman. Eight more punches. Just for that. Eight more punches. I should have rated it higher. Before we promise more violence. Sorry. That sorry. That wraps up our discussion. No, I was on, I was on board. <laughs> that wraps up our discussion of the ritual. So if you enjoyed your time with us, if you thought we said some cool things, we would really appreciate it if you'd rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That is like the one rating place yeah. that really determines how many people can find us. It's also really nice to read the nice I know, things. That we say it every time, and I don't care. I'm gonna keep saying it. Gonna Reading the reviews it. is great. It's really heartwarming. Uh, you can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We are just go with it on both of them. And every Wednesday we post the movie for the week. So if you want to watch it ahead of time, yeah. if that's your thing, usually you can. we post where it's streaming. So yes. hopefully, if it's like an easily accessible movie, we'll post where it's streaming. Yes. If you have to buy it, sometimes I will be like, eh, sorry. Yeah. But yeah, so usually we'll always post that. Yes. And I always post the extended show notes on our website, uh-huh. just go with a pod.com. Good show notes too. Thank you. And if usually if we mention like a funny video or something mm-hmm. or something happens to come up, we'll usually post it. Yep. So if there's something that you're like, oh man, they talked about that. I wish I could see it. Check out our website. I posted a critical role video there that yeah, I mentioned. Yeah, it's really great. And I had never seen it. So I went to our website and yeah. I was like, oh, fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Kate does a really great job of like posting things we talk about. Yeah, thanks. You're welcome. You could also take a look at our Patreon at patreon.com slash just go with it. And, you know, it's timely. We'd like to take this opportunity to thank our patrons. We have Kim, Kelly, Nihar, Will, Rachel, Kelsey, Sula, and Tim. Thank you. I wanted to make sure I read all those names correct. I was like, did I say Will twice? No. They're all incredible. (laughs) We love them so very, very much. And they help support the show. They help us do cool things. They really do. Get better microphones. They really, yeah, (laughs) honestly, thank you, patrons, because we both have, like, way better microphones now. We We can record in person with, like, so much more confidence. So, Mm -hmm. like, thank you, guys. Thank, Thank you. you, patrons. And the intro and outro music was created by Anthony Rockazella, and the cover art is by our very own Nikki <gasps> Solomon. Little old me. Uh-huh. Twas I. <laughs> so, you know, go out there. Don't punch old ladies. Don't punch Unless well, they sacrifice people to cultists. an ancient Norse god. And then just one. Yeah. Just give them the old. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, old lady, but sometimes you got to give them a punch. Yeah. Don't punch old men. Don't punch old women. <laughs> I don't want to be the reason. Not, <laughs> we are not endorsing this. Oh, God. They're going to punch us. We'll see you next week. Go, Bye. go, go. <laughs>